the sunrise smiles on everything. What? <laughs> what? It's a portrait of the happiness that we feel and always will. Oh, it is enough to fill our lives with love. Hello there. You are listening to the 323rd podcast by Tom Chick, Kristen Marlowski, and Kelly Wand. I am Tom Chick. I am here to discuss The Hateful Eight with Christian Marlowski. Uh, I would like you guys just to refer to me as that big black Marlowski. And with our Hateful Eight tagline, Kelly Wand. Oh, so that's what a black dick is tastes like. I didn't see either of those coming. Uh, do you have <laughs> other taglines, Kelly Wand? That's what he said. At least the hateful parts, right? <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Don't don't let me stop you. <laughs> it's like the overture, but longer. <laughs> Did you guys get the overture in yours? Oh, I see. Right. Okay. Uh, we didn't get the intermission though. You know, there, it used to have an. You didn't in- get the intermission? Nope. There's a. I oh. thought, uh, not watching it right. Any any, any other taglines? Uh, it's like a locked room mystery, but with nails. Because you have to nail the door. Oh, okay, okay. Keep yeah. going. If, that's four. How many fucking? I don't know. Maybe eight. Oh, oh, that would have been cool. No, the other five are just buried in the offices. Fair enough. Good. I look forward to that. But in the meantime, Kelly Wan, before we talk Hateful Eight, why don't you uh, stage me and Dingus against each other in a contest get it? Stage. Stage. revolving around an IMDb synopsis? Revolving? Get it? Joy? <laughs> no. No, I don't, Tom. Def- defiantly stamped. All right. Uh, I really love this one. That's your hint. Okay, so you're going to read us a synopsis, and if Dingus and I, whichever one of us guesses first the name of the movie, wins. Yeah, you win the movie. Hmm, all right. Not a copy of it, but the actual movie. Wow. A Michigan farmer (laughs) and a prospector form a partnership in the California gold country. What? What are you talking about? Motherload with Charlton Heston. I love how this is going. I love it. Right into my trap. <laughs> Their adventures include buying and sharing a wife, uh, hi- hijacking a stage, kidnapping six prostitutes, <laughs> and turning their mining camp into a boom town. Dingus, this isn't something I've seen, I'm pretty sure. It might be all up to you, Dingus. This is my dad's favorite movie, by the way. Uh, is it a musical? Along the way, there is... Paint my wagon. Yeah, it's paint your wagon, yeah. Paint your wagon. No, paint someone's wagon. Did we get it? I don't know. I think so. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, so, wait, wait, that was Dingus. So... I said it first, but Dingus corrected the title. Wait, so say the high, name right? of it. Paint your wagon. No, no, I think Tom gets this one, because he, he, he was in first. said the right from... Well, only Dingus, because you said musical, and I immediately, you know, the only Western musical in existence is, of course, paint, the, the wagon painting one. Yeah, yeah. So you're the one that gave it to me, so I'm going to have to share credit with you, Dingus, and call mm, it a tie. No, I think you gave me one last week for some reason, so I'm going to... I think you should have this one. Oh, All right. my God. Sweet, yeah. I win. 
just the last sentence is, along the way, there's plenty of drinking, gambling, and singing. They even find time to do some creative gold mining. <laughs> For some reason, that made me really like the whole thing. And it is paint your wagon? Yeah. What's that mean? I don't know. I agree with my dad, but I don't... I guess it's a euphemism for something. Uh, It was made in 68, bro. Same year as 2001 in Planet of the Apes. Find the pattern. Uh, Has anyone here actually seen it? I haven't seen it. Huh? I have. I've seen it it many, many, many years ago. Oh, I thought you were going to say many, many, many times. That's what I was embracing myself. Good Lord, no. And the way he was saying it, like, oh, don't get me started. (laughs) No. I mean, I know the title. But I also mix it up with the uh, three mules for sister, whatever her name is. Oh, three mules. You said meals. Two mules. Three Why windmills. Not... It's three meals for sister Sarah. Right. <laughs> uh, that's not a musical, though, is it, Dingus? Maybe. No, it I don't think okay. so. No. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is Oklahoma a western? Because that would—that's also a musical. I don't know if you guys know that. It's a midwestern. Oh, nice, <laughs> Dingus. Oh, Dingus wins. Uh, speaking, Dingus, of uh, Westerns, why don't you tell the listeners what we saw this week? No spoilers, Dingus. By the way, don't give anything away. Maybe certain people haven't seen it, and they just want some basic information before we get into spoilers. What can you provide about it? All right. Well, this week we saw The Hateful Eight, mm-hmm. a 2015 American mystery Western drama thriller movie about how Boba Fett should be the one – and the only one making coffee. It was written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. It stars um, the usual suspects. Uh, Hateful Eight is rated R mm. for strong, bloody violence. Oh, yeah. A scene of violent sexual content. What? And yeah. some graphic nudity. What? Oh, oh, right, right. But a scene of violence... It's not that some, violent if you're on the receiving end. No, a scene of some sexual content, violent content. Sexual violent Well, okay, we'll get into that in a moment. Yeah. Everyone, did the MPAA miss anything that needs to be added to the, those discussions? Uh, coffee drinking, mm-hmm. haberdashery. Okay. <laughs> well, but that's just a joke. Bruce yeah. Stern. And some intermission. <laughs> and some intermission. Right. Uh, Please edit this. On Metacritic. (laughs) (laughs) What? You lazy bastards. Uh, The average rating from various reviews that give ratings, and even reviews that don't give ratings, uh, on Metacritic is at uh, 69 for Hateful Eight. Reviews that don't give ratings give it a 68. Uh, Metacritic does assign a numerical value to reviews that don't use a rating system. So those are included amongst in the averages. I give it a quarter to three. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of reviews that are positive is 75. Mm. Mm. Means nothing. Uh, it opens wide a week after we're recording, so we don't really know how it will perform. However, in its uh, current release, um, it's on 100 screens, uh, and it managed, with just 100 screens, to crack the top 10. It's at number 10 uh, with uh, 4.5 million. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so on a per theater average, it's doing very, very well. Minus Cinerama Dome. Pardon? It's 100 screens, but minus Cinerama Dome. Right, right. Star Wars A really nice theater here in in Los Angeles, but Quentin Tarantino claims that Disney strong-armed 
the theater, so they're showing the Star Wars movie instead. Pretty interesting. I felt I should mention that since it's topical. Uh, well, Kelly Wan, speaking of mentioning things, why don't you tell the listeners what happens in The Hateful Eight by giving us a synopsis of the events of the movie? We should warn the listeners, this will include spoilers. Wait, speaking of what? <laughs> Hooray for L.A. Weed. I mean, do you have any theories on what it would be called, this thing? The Hateful Eight synopsis? Uh, no, 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 I was asking, that's what you meant by this thing. Uh, the Hateful Eight synopsis would obviously be called the Hateful Eight Topsis. <laughs> that's actually worse than your first guess. <laughs> I was hoping it would just be the Hopsis. Yeah. Uh, see... You know what, Kelly Wand? Let me just say this. Whatever it's called, I am looking forward to you making me not regret having spent nearly three hours sitting through this Tarantino dribble. <laughs> nearly three. Actually, nearly three. Uh. Yeah, it's, it's plus three with an intermission. Yeah, I want those eight hours back because it certainly felt like eight hours. It was three, but uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Why don't you hurry up and give a synopsis because I've got a lot to say. Uh-oh. I what's, know. It, what's it called? Come on. Yeah, Kelly Wand. The Hateful Apesis. <laughs> the P has to come somewhere. You know how that goes. That's what they say. An overture happens. Sam Jackson's collecting head wound victims in the middle of the road in the snow. Since he used to be a cavalry officer, his horse is gone. <laughs> How many different ways can we say cavalry and cavalry in this movie? Cavalry. 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 A stagecoach driver with tassels tells him he has to talk to Kurt Russell. <laughs> Even though he's kind of blocking the road with his people pile, he somehow got there. Kurt Russell is handcuffed to a woman guitarist with eye makeup. <laughs> Some talking happens. That right there, you just went through to the end of the movie. This is like a 20 minute scene or the end of the movie. Three hours, three words. We both get the same destination. Kurt Russell uses handcuffs to let Sam Jackson join their ride. The woman disapproves. <laughs> Kurt Russell asks her to please be quiet. <laughs> some talking happens. Then some music. There's a Jesus log. I lean over to Eli Roth and go, you're not in this. <laughs> Kirk Russell likes Sam Jackson because he has a letter he wrote to Abraham Lincoln. Instead of troop movements, it's about how Mary Todd's standing near him. <laughs> the guitarist isn't impressed. They find a screaming Walton Goggins and some fence. <laughs> some talking happens. He says he's the sheriff of Wyoming. 
They tell him to put handcuffs on, but they're the wrong size. So Kurt Russell takes Sam Jackson's off. <laughs> the stagecoach moves. <laughs> Walton Goggins' dad was someone, so they talk about it. <laughs> They get to a haberdashery, which I think means fur cabin. (laughs) (laughs) The doorman's Mexican, so there's a bit of goings-on. IMDb's changed my writing style. Sam Jackson and the stagecoach driver decide to lay railroad spikes in the snow to the outhouse just in case. Kurt Russell spits out brown coffee. In homage to the glory decade of 60s movies, the haberdashery is 70 millimeters wide. (laughs) (sighs) Ah, fucking dinkus. I'm going to leave this in, Dingus, just for you. I lean over to Frozen Warden Beatty sitting beside me and go, Isn't this technically a Midwestern? Why would Dingus know that one? Dingus, that should be for me. Dingus, do you know what that's from? Of course. Do you really? I I mean, I'm surprised if you do, but I I haven't given you enough credit. It's okay. It's from McKay. Yeah, very good. Okay, Why was that for Dingus, not me, Kelly Wand? Because he's mad that I, I stepped on his joke. Wait, what's it from? Yeah, actually, give us the full title, because maybe maybe we can make fun of you yet. McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Okay, yeah, you got it, Kelly Wong. The Cabinets is Polar? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Now I remember. (laughs) Sorry, I stepped on your joke. I apologize. Stop saying things before the opsis. Warren Beatty says something about filmmaking. See how worth it that was? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Stupid dingus like that. <laughs> That's how it's done, dingus I had a lot to contend with in this movie So give me a break There's other people at the place <laughs> Differences <laughs> Oh, Tom, that was great One of them's British And another one's a grandma Who talks like Michael Madsen <laughs> Oh my god Amber's Slayer. What I do? Oh God! Remember, Bruce Stern's Nebraska character is also there with a grandma blanket, but he's a Southerner except accent-wise. <laughs> Some talking happens. Kurt Russell makes everybody give themselves his guns since he's a bounty hunter. He makes coffee. Also, they have to nail the door shut every time they use it, since back in those days, they didn't have heavy objects to barricade. (laughs) (laughs) The nail was invented before the rock. (laughs) I strive briefly to make a connection between the nailing and the Jesus log, but then remember I'm watching Tarantino and not Scorsese. The British person explains to the guitarist how a law becomes a bill. (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't say anything. 
since she's just the girl of the group till Shannon Tatum. <laughs> Kurt Russell warns her not to get up to any funning off till she's strangling with dignity, handcuffs her to her stew bowl to cinch the deal. Over dinner, Walton Goggins exposes Kurt Russell's retardation in not realizing that as a cavalry commander, Sam Jackson couldn't possibly have received correspondence from Lincoln. Instead, he's obviously a master forger. Everybody laughs at Kurt Russell for believing print. Make it up to him. <laughs> Uh, I don't know why that's good. To make it up to him, Sam Jackson kills Bruce Dern for being the dad of a man who kept him warm. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) An intermission happens. During it, on a blustery for L.A. Christmas Eve, as I stride briskly to my car to process what I've seen so far, a person approaches me in the parking lot and goes, Excuse me, but I'm trying to raise money for gas to get me and my family to San Diego. Please, I'm a staff sergeant in the Marine Corps. You can hold my iPhone if you don't believe me. I give him a 20. He's all, thank you. God bless you, my friend. But if you give me another 20, I won't have to ask two more people. I go, can I at least see your letter from Lincoln? He's all, who? I eventually fork over another couple bucks and then feign disinterest in his woes. When I get back into the movie, a narrator's reminding the audience what they just saw. Walton Goggins, a sheriff who idolized Bruce Dern's character, is now stealing his coat. (laughs) The guitarist sings a Spinal Tap song about the future. Kurt Russell hates the coffee again. Sam Jackson shows there's blood on a chair other than the one Bruce Dern was in. Shanning Tatum lives in a hole in the basement. (laughs) For Sam Jackson can realize he's standing right over the hole. He waits till Sam Jackson's monologue's over, then some slow motion happens. We go back in time to see that the blood got on the chair because someone who was sitting in it, we've been led to think, got shot in it got shot in it. No. A lot of women characters from Death Proof were there, too. But to allay the suspicions of your Russells, Jacksons, and Gogginses, they get shot and replaced with suspicious-acting Michael Madsen and the Mexican person. They didn't shoot Bruce Stern, since he's a former army general, so they know he won't make trouble. Walton Goggins is the least shot character, so he fields offers for his allegiance. (laughs) From Sam Jackson and the guitarist. Then falls over. Some more slow motion happens. Sam Jackson's in bed, by the way, from the Shanning Tatum incident. He watches the guitarist try to get the nearest of 19 guns in the room while music plays. Walton Goggins returns to the film. (laughs) He and Sam Jackson come together as a gender since the hangman turned out to be evil. He reads the letter to Lincoln aloud and admits that it sounds legit. They hang until the camera loses interest. I look over at Christoph Waltz sitting next to me and go, Spectre, huh? (laughs) (laughs) 
that's the end. Very nice. <laughs> wow. Went better than I thought. As I was watching this, I was like, surely those other guys aren't going to like this. I mean, I, I can't imagine. I, uh, you know what? I did. Did you into it? You did like yeah, it. I did. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Dingus, what, what, just real quick uh, thumbnail sketch from you. Uh, yeah, no? Oh, I hate this thing. Yeah, I do. Oh, I know. Oh, God, I me too. That. I really hated it. Here's All right. Yeah. What's the thing, Kai? One. Well, so so what made it work for you? Why did you like this? Because it's truly, I think. Okay. You know, we have we all have certain zones that that work for us in unusual ways. We give extra points to things that are in our sweet spot, and sure. I like things that were like um, I like things that happen in a single day, which this kind of is. But I also really have a, a soft spot for movies where everybody dies. <laughs> is that a spoiler at all? Well, we're, we can spoil the movie. We're, we're, uh, we presume okay. we're talking to people who've also seen it at this point. Right? But also, I really like. I have a soft spot for movies where people are just boiled down to their essences, and like this is like this movie is a hate off, basically. Like it really is. Like the title's supposed to be that, and it's mm-hmm. just about people who can't stand each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a Tarantino movie. Like it's just it. He's doing kind of what Abrams did with Star Wars. It's what? Kind of, oh Wait a minute. I hear, yeah, what? Let's, what? let's hear this. Yeah, go on, Kelly Wand. Well, it's I'm gonna, Kelly Wand, I'm going to pre-ridicule that comment, so elaborate. You're going to pre-ridicule it? Yeah. <laughs> no. Let's hear you make that make sense. It's got a little death proof in there. It's got a little Django. It's like got it all. It's, it's, got, it's Quentin Tarantino basically jacking off himself. He yeah. might right, but, at least homages of people who are better than him. Quentin Tarantino is so full of himself, and it comes through so clearly in this movie. I mean, you're right. Yeah, There's like a little bit of everything. I mean, it's Reservoir Dogs, basically. Um, right, and Reservoir Dogs is way better, don't get me wrong, but remember when I liked This is the End, and I know it's kind of dumb. Like, just because I'd gotten to L.A. So, and yeah, just, you like that kind of humor, sure. No, but also, just it's also when I saw it, and it's like, I don't know. Seeing the hateful aid on Christmas Eve just kind of cheered me up in a weird way. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason. Like, it was just so, it was just Tarantino doing, like, the overture. It's just so him that it just made me feel a little, a little soft for him. Well, uh, so Dingus and I saw, we have a friend who has a screener copy, so we didn't get to, we didn't see it. Exactly. Yeah. So we didn't have – and the screener copy doesn't have a – they send out to Academy members doesn't have the overture or the intermission. And I wasn't aware that they were actually doing that in theaters. Um, I don't think it made should have made a difference. Right. So uh, here's my context then, Kelly Wand. I have seen this year two of the most amazing Westerns that I've ever seen, one yeah. being Bone Tomahawk, the other being The Revenant. Seeing this, I was thinking, oh, there might be a trifecta because I really do like Inglorious Bastards. I had some reservations when we first saw it. But I've, I've seen it again two more times. I've liked it more every time I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of hoping that Django Unchained was just a little sort of a glitch in the creative process and that uh, Hateful Eight would be more like Inglorious Bastards. Um, and instead, I think I saw the worst movie he's ever made. Uh, and I just – it's just – I have so many problems with it that we'll get into, but I was really hoping – you know, I wanted Quentin Tarantino to do a western that could live up to Bone Tomahawk and The Revenant. You like this think... less than Death Proof? Uh, well, yeah, uh, yes, yes, uh, for for a specific reason. Like Death Proof. Well, the, so Death Proof is my over, and I hate Death Proof. I am so I Death Proof. By the way, but the problem with Death Proof is that it could have been brilliant, and there are parts of Death Proof that are brilliant. 
Um, so what I hate about Death Proof can be summed up in a single moment that I think I've mentioned on this podcast. Um, Death Proof winds up to this really gory car crash that uh, is a murder. Um, and it's a terrible moment, and it's just – it taps into everyone's fear of a car wreck when your foot is hanging out the window. Um, it, it, it subjects these characters who've been established to these horrible, gory deaths. Um, the main character, who's the only good actress in that movie, by the way, who can handle what Tarantino's giving her, like she gets a tire run up her face. It's horrible, and all of this opens, this car wreck, with Quentin Tarantino thinking that it would be cute to put in a Wilhelm scream. Right. Over the crash. The moment of the crash, Tarantino's like, you know what? I'm going to dub it for Wilhelm Scream. Really? Yeah, it's horrible. I, I mean, and it, it completely undercuts anything it could have accomplished by putting in an inside joke at the opening of this horrific sequence. Um, and it's just Quentin Tarantino. Like, I think he's got I, – I, like, I think Quentin Tarantino is trying to do things that he's incapable of doing and that he has no insight into. And my problem with Hateful Eight, he thinks he's making the thing. Like, he thinks mm-hmm. this is his version of the thing, and he's been very open about this, and I would argue this completely, 120% misses the point of the thing. Wait, he said he's compared it to the thing? Yeah, yeah, he's definitely Interviews? said it. it oh, I haven't the read thing that. Was and I was even thinking that watching it. Like, I didn't know this beforehand. I'm sure Ding is the same way. I didn't know anything about what I was getting into. Um, and by the way, why shoot something in your references, Kelly Wand? Why go to this old... <laughs> huge aspect ratio for what's basically a parlor room drama. Right. Yeah. That makes no sense. Those vistas early on, those were completely wasted. I mean, the screen real estate is wasted by shooting something this intimate in this, this aspect ratio. It takes some stones, you got to admit. I don't think it takes stones. I no, think no. It, takes, it takes missing the point. Definitely. It takes being oblivious. That's, that's the impression I got. Um, we'll get into the thing thing in a minute. So, Dingus, what made it what, – what was your overall takeaway? Why, why did this not work for you? Uh, I would put uh, Kill Bill just barely over this, and I hate Kill Bill. Um, both of them? Both the volumes? No, I hate the totality of it, because I think it's an example of him not understanding and nobody able being able to tell. And this, my over-under, is this idea of nobody can get to talk to you as a director to tell you to cut it the fuck out. Um, this movie should have been an hour less yeah. easily. Uh, if it should have, it, it could have been a play. I mean, what Tom it said was. about it started as one, I think. What what Tom says about um, screen real estate is absolutely on point. Uh, this could have been a parlor room drama and would have been a really cool play, actually. Um, making it a three-hour movie that I have to fucking sit through, and I can constantly think of, yeah, you could have cut that line, you could have cut that character. We don't need that. We don't need this scene. We don't need ten minutes of this scene. Um, if I'm constantly th- thinking that during your movie, then fuck you. I mean, it's three hours of, of drudgery, and it could have been an hour-long play. Why, uh, for instance, is that scene of them setting stakes to the outhouse in the barn? I don't know. There, I didn't know payoff. Yeah. So they set that up, and I'm like, okay, there's going to be something where somebody's stranded outside. There's no pay. I mean, that's exactly what Dingus is talking about. Why leave that scene in there? It does absolutely nothing. Misdirection, but I don't know towards what. And there's Sorry. constant repetition of lines that don't need to be done. And I, I just think that nobody is able to talk to him and tell him, cut it out. And that's how I feel about Kill Bill. As much as I, I think that Kill Bill has more stylistic things in it that I would prefer to this. And so I'm closely bracketing it. Um but Kill Bill should have been one movie, not two. Uh, but nobody was 
going to stand up to Quentin Tarantino and say, you know, cut it the fuck out. Well, also, I think, Dingus, that the Weinstein brothers, like Miramax thought, oh, we can make more money by splitting. Like, I think part of it was Tarantino's indulgence. Another part was self-indulgence. Another part was was basically just greed, like a commercial decision. Ah, I didn't think about that. Well, they foisted it on him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. He was he's like, look, three hours is fine. That's how long the Super Bowl is. And Weinstein was like, dude, we got to do two cha-ching. And then he's like, actually, wait, I found a spot where it can kind of work. And then that's what he came up with. Kill Bill is one tight movie. I mean, it's like The Hobbit. I mean, it's one tight movie that they could have made. And he he decided I don't I don't really know what you're talking about, Kelly. But I I guess I believe what you're talking about. No, no, about about the the behind the scenes stuff. But when I've dealt with Kill Bill, it's mainly been thinking. You know, nobody told this guy, you know, just make a movie. You, you're you've made one movie, cut it. And nobody nobody will tell people like this. They told people to cut the the Italy sequences of Godfather though too. So you never know if it's going to work till it's actually there. All right. Well. Uh, the, there's a number of directors who nobody gets to talk to anymore and tell them this is how you edit a movie, this is how you did it earlier in your career, and everybody just says yes to them. And this movie is almost three hours long, and it's three hours of wasted time. They keep and it, making money, and though. it could have been an hour and a half of wasted time. And I, I'm pissed off. I'm in re- I'm really pissed off at this movie. It's it's a mess. It's it's a total mess. I don't even know what the fuck he's doing. Hmm. Wait, which of the Quentin Tarantinos you liked, Ingus? Because if you did, if Kill Bill's like, I'm pretty sure we would all have a similar list. Reservoir Dogs is the best. I I love Reservoir Dogs. I love Pulp Fiction. I I love Jackie Brown. And I think we all, we all, yeah, Jackie Brown. By the way, I don't even think of as like it. It's clearly that that's not a a Quentin Tarantino script because it's got an amazing female character. That's by the way is one of the cool things about um, Hateful Eight is I loved. How they developed Jennifer Jason Lee's character, right. but man, how that ended up, I don't quite know what to make of that. Um, <laughs> it was weird. It was weird and distasteful. It really made me feel dirty. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, is this? No, it's the hateful. That's the thing. But it's okay. peace through hate, Tom. I mean, what what's the point of that then? It seems to me, and really, actually, that's not a question. They resolved the race differences through what? Killing. Wait, are we talking about the same thing? That's really not a question I feel that it's really fair for me to ask is what's the point of a movie because that's not really – a movie doesn't have to have a point for me to care about it. But I believe, it seems to me, that Quentin Tarantino thought he had some kind of point he was making about about racism, about slavery, which again, he was pretty oblivious about it in Django Unchained, I feel, yeah, yeah. Uh, and – putting a female character at the crux of this movie, I thought there was going to be some meaningful statement about gender. Um, and I don't, I, don't, I don't think there was. So again, it's like, what, the point of it? what is the point of it? What is his message here about, about race, about gender, uh, about hatred? Uh, uh, what is his point? I kind of don't think there is one. I think there's a lot of racial language here, but with no relevant message. Uh, and I think it's... It's just... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So, what, what would you? It's say? just like the weird thing about the thing analogy is like in the thing we really give a shit about Kurt Russell's character in that movie. Wait, why? Why are That's... we? Why are we linking linking this with the thing he's, other than the snow? Yeah, Tarantino's brought it up. He. Uh, well, it, it's fine that he brings it up, but there's nothing okay, thing well, about this. Explain. Yeah, yeah. There, like, I, I, so it's definitely. Uh, either, but Tom thought so. 
right? Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I'm, uh, he's sorry. definitely invoked the thing as an inspiration for this. Uh, he screened it for the cast, you know, saying this is what we're trying to achieve. Um, oh. It's okay. very much this, uh, you know, this contained mystery. But my problem with that is the model for this is not the thing because there's nothing in here. This is basically an Agatha Christie movie. You know, the yeah. model for this it is, is – It's Ten yeah. Little Indians. It's Ten yeah. Little Indians and not, and not the thing because the difference is – the thing, the important part of the thing, the relevant part of the thing, you know, that is a movie about about trust, yeah. paranoia, and identity. And the relevant part of the thing is that they all know each other. Yeah. They have all spent yeah. time together. Uh, whether they like each other or not, that's beside the point. They are all intimately familiar with each other, and it's about what happens when you can't trust that person or the paranoia when somebody's identity changes and you don't understand it. Because – you know, of course, strangers are frightening. Right. You know, you're out in the frontier. Right. You come to a mysterious place with people with guns. Yeah, that's frightening. You know, that's and that's the point of Agatha Christie novels is who are these mysterious characters? They're right. kind of spooky. Um, the thing is people who know each other, who are intimate with each other and who kill each other. Right. That's the brilliance of it. And there's none of that here. It's just it's just like Dingus, it's 10 little Indians. And for him to invoke the thing, he, he misses the point entirely. Oh, man, you just made me feel so good. You you just made me feel so much better right now. So that whole trust thing is I, I don't know why that is, but your that point you just made is perfect. Yeah, because in the thing, the yeah. they end yeah. like uh, Walton Goggins and, and Samuel Jackson come to an accord at the end. The end of the thing with uh, Keith, yeah. Keith and Kurt Russell, they still don't know about each other, and these are guys that have been around each other for I guess years, months at least. That's right. what makes it poignant. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah. if there's a point yeah. to the fact that Walton Goggins, who he's not the most racist, but at least at first he's antagonistic towards Samuel Jackson, that they're the last survivors, and I presume they're going to bleed out. Um, the, the point, you know, what's the point of them being the last survivors? And then basically, and 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 this, you cannot say that Quentin Tarantino doesn't think he's making a point when he has a black man and a racist lynch a woman. That is not right. That is not just you don't just casually decide this is how I'm going to end my movie. That is such an incredibly charged way to end a movie, and I don't get his point. Kelly Wan, if you say it's just that people hate each other, okay, I guess I just saw a movie about how people hate each other. I didn't these need three characters. hours to know that, and I didn't need these characters to be squandered to, to know that. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I don't. It just, it, whereas I normally am okay with pointless, I don't feel that this was supposed to be pointless. I think he thought he was making a point, and heck if I know what it was. Well, now that he's, wait, so she's the thing? <laughs> no, see, that's the thing. I don't, you can't. I don't know. I, I think that that's all. nonsensical, and that's why I, I brooked at you guys talking about it, but I understand yeah. why. I understand that you said that the fact is that he got them to look at it. I understand that, but I don't think it. Bears any right. He wants to invoke paranoia, and and, and it's and, Kurt Russell in the snow again. So that part, I guess. and a very you know, it's very much an Arctic setting. That's a, it's a big part of it. And That's it, fine, yeah. But what's um, said so true? It's really not the same dynamic among the characters. So it seems like a really bizarre. I mean, even in Ten Little Indians, they're not like trying to kill each other. Like one of them's a killer, and no one knows who it is, at least. But in this, they're all. Well, they do that a little bit with the coffee. I mean, that's where I got yeah. that. That's as, right. as soon as it's like, and then all of a sudden we have this. Fifteen minutes earlier, she saw this, yeah, I and I, I just wanted to ask Quentin Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino, to come over to my house so I could punch him in the face when he when that <laughs> wow, yeah, when, when that moment was like, 
15 minutes earlier. Is that him doing that voiceover? Yes, he's the narrator, by the way. God. He's not just the director of this movie, he's the narrator. Fuck. Black Fingers. <laughs> Fuck him. That 15 minutes earlier, narrating then she saw this, movie. and this happened. I, I was so, I was livid at that moment. I do wonder, though, Dingus, if that's supposed to be like a post-intermission thing that we didn't get the benefit of. Like, Because it did really seem conspicuous, and the movie's just one. Did you like, guys get a narrative, like, wait, you got the Black Dinguses. Black Dingus is a lot. Well, we saw the movie. It's just we didn't have yeah. an overture and we didn't have an intermission. And I heard there was an intermission that was eventually taken out of the theatrical release. I didn't know right. that it was still in there um, for some for some screenings. It's just really that moment where, where all of a sudden it's like 15 minutes earlier, this is what happened. And this happened. And then that happened. And then she saw that happen. And this happened. Uh, and there's th- this hasn't happened at all in the movie. I'm I'm just tired of this bag of tricks shit. This uh, also- chapter one, chapter two. Now I'm going to do a narration all of a sudden. Try something new, Quentin. At one point, why does he cre- play? Why does he play a White Stripes song when he's got in- Ennio Morricone to do his oh, soundtrack? Lord. I was like, I, when that happened, I was like, okay, so there's going to be some modern music. Let's see. But no, it never makes an appearance again. It's like he just liked the song, and I, that's I liked, a sixties thing. I think I liked that moment. But it just went nowhere. No. That's how those movies were, though. Like, play Misty. No, you would would hire Burt Bacharach to do Singing in the Rain for Butch Cassidy. I mean, it was definitely a fixture of the movie. It was to help Burt Bacharach, or whoever sang Singing in the Rain. It was was a synergy to help sell a single. Um, Really? Well, yeah, of course. Because you have in the opening credits, and Singing in the Rain by Burt Bacharach. I don't even know who sang that. Oh, I thought you meant in this. Well, you say in the 60s when they would do, like, that would happen a lot of times in, in movies in the 60s and 70s, is in the credits, you have a specific song written for the movie, sung by someone famous, and it's in the opening qu- credits, as if that's like one of the actors. Um, it's a fixture. Is Here's this song written by this famous person specifically and sung by him or her specifically right. for this movie. Uh, I don't think I, that's what going what was going on with that Hey Little Apple Blossom song. No. And, I think it's just. Like, hey, I can't let you keep saying "singing in the rain." This driving me nuts. It's it's raindrops keep falling on my head. Oh yeah, right, right, right. Sorry, it's B.J. Thomas. <laughs> You're ruining my favorite musical with one of my least favorite musical interludes. Right, bicycle riding. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, that is an abomination. What Tom did. Fair enough, Dingus. Yeah, "Singing in the Rain" as everybody knows is the song from Clockwork Orange. Oh god damn it! <laughs> yeah, and the monolith says it too. But doesn't sing it. Right. Um, I really liked Sam Jackson's speech, and I really liked her which song. Which one? So there was a couple, yeah. Of the, of the 20 speeches he delivered, which one did you really like? <laughs> the one to Bruce Stern. Uh, which other one? It's all, oh, I see, the murder reveal. The chair. So you did Kelly. like that moment. So, so unpack that for us, Kelly Wan. Why did, yeah. why did you like that? Because that, that, to me, was just super gratuitous and cruel and pointless, kind of like hanging uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Why did that work for you? Why did you like that bit? Because it was elongated, and I liked I like things where it's just like a slow burn. Did you say elongated? Elongated? Yeah. You mean elongated? Elongated. I also mispronounced <laughs> vehement. It's vehemently. I like to say vehement. Finally, like someone other than me screws up a word. Okay, elongated. Well, okay, there's so stuff I read. I don't. So like you like that. you like how drawn out it was, basically. Yeah, and the song too. Like she's waiting for the poison to work. So she has to make the song super long. So is her song? Di- no, because they're playing Silent Night. The guy's on the piano. Oh no, wait. No, I forget no, when the Silent Night is and when. You're talking about Debbie and Bashir's thing. You're talking about uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh's thing. Yeah, 
she's that's done the when, when 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 he says is there is there another verse and she goes sure i'll yeah. sing another verse yeah. so kurt russell oh. has asked her to do that but is that right. during samuel l jackson taunting bruce dern no, it's no, no, no. no just no, saying, no. those are two things I really this like. Is okay, well, I want to get He's about to barf. Right, right. I want to get back to the Bruce Dern thing because you said you like that, and that was oh. something that I found pointless and kind of offensive. Uh, is we have this moment where Bruce Dern, because he is, you know, he's a racist, uh, so we can immediately hate. So we can immediately hate him, uh, Confederate general, and also this implication that the South, that the Civil War was all about quote keeping niggers in chains, right. which again. This glib representation of what the Civil War was also irked me. We'll get to that in a minute if you want. But so we've already established, yeah, Bruce Dern is a racist, so he deserves to die. Not only that, he deserves to suffer mental anguish and be taunted before he is murdered uh, by Samuel L. Jackson. All this set up, and I think we as the audience are kind of supposed to approve of this. Uh, yeah. And I just found – I just – like I, I actually, by the way, liked Bruce Dern in this because he wasn't doing his sort of scattered, weird Nebraska character. Uh, I liked how he's taking it seriously. I thought. Pardon? He was playing it straight. No, yeah, and I, and I think his I think his performance, if you look at the movie, uh, if you look at the movie in retrospect, makes more sense than anybody else's performance. Yeah, and I, his character too. Like, I when when Sam Jackson was going to sit down and talk with him and have stew, like I, I wanted to have this sort of authentic moment between the two of them. But it turns out Samuel Jackson is just being a jerk and setting him up to murder. Him. Right, right. Because uh, they hate each other. It's a hateful aid, Tom. Hate. No, okay. it's Quentin Tarantino jerking off on the screen. It's well, not a hateful aid. You and you hate him. So it's still working. I mean, it's clear. It's just a murder. It's a race baiting murder. Right. Basically. He sets it up. Yeah. Right. And none of that stuff makes any difference, whether it's real or whether it's but not. But was that why he went there? It was a little confusing to me. Like, did he know Bruce Stern was there? Like, that's that was on his way, or was that just a target of opportunity? It's I, I, it's all a construction. And then he puts the gun down and walks over. It's just Quentin Tarantino missing. Right, so Kelly, Kelly's asking if it was like a premeditated, if that's why Samuel L. Jackson was going in this direction. And I don't think so. No. It's a coincidence that affects what the the ambush that they that those other characters were planning. It's, it's, right. That's the only connection, right? It, it, it happens with everyone. <laughs> it's why everybody recognizes, uh, 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 what's Kurt Russell's name? Brandon Ruth, no, Joe John Ruth. John Ruth. John Ruth, right. <laughs> Why everybody recognizes him. Yeah, it's it's a coincidence that, you know, Walton Goggins recognizes General uh, Sherman, whatever his name was. Uh, yeah, I don't think any of this was, like, pre-designated beyond the guys coming right. and ambushing Kurt Russell, bringing uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. See, the coincidences are Agatha Christie, not the Right, thing. of course. Right. Right. I know, I know. And yeah, that's, I totally I, agree with your yeah. thesis, by the way. Yeah, and he, he did, yeah to say that I was if he was trying to do the thing he didn't understand the thing uh, he didn't understand that. Yeah. Uh, I also like I, I really like I, I liked I loved what Jennifer Jason Lee was doing, yeah. but it was so incredibly and Kelly Wan, you want to say it was hateful? Fair enough, but I I just saw this sadistic treatment of a really cool character right. and an actress who was doing a great job, who I wanted to see doing more stuff, and we got to eventually. Thank God. Right. Uh, but it was just so sadistic the treatment of her and and the outcome. Well, and by the way, the most interesting relationship for me is between her and Channing Tatum. And oh, I could see that coming from Miles. Yeah, yeah. He was totally. It was totally Marvin. Yeah. yeah. Backseat of the, the car with John Travolta. Absolutely. Yeah. 
and everybody's head. I don't know where bullets, how bullets work in Quentin Tarantino's world, but they explode people's heads beyond all recognition. Well, and all that was so gratuitous. I thought, like the throwing yeah, up of the coffee. I, why was there so much point, pointless gore in this movie? It wasn't Sam a Jackson's. Uh, that's when I realized. I think it was just all meant to like make Dingus rage. Well, I'm raging too. So and you, so. and you rage, and a lot of people. When Jennifer Jason Lee like getting it's, her nose broken and her teeth knocked out, like that was again just sadism is what, what it came. The up extra with. two yeah. bullets Sam Jackson does, like the guy's already dead, and then he uses another two bullets. To yeah, and we get a close up of it too. Like I know this is, right. this is what he didn't right. show us in Pulp Fiction. Is, yeah. <laughs> well, there's yeah, a reason for that later on, but there's no reason oh, for right, it at right. the moment. There's a reason for it later on because yeah. of the whole. Like, oh, oh, what's the bounty going to be for that character while his head's been blown off? But that's not how bullets work. That's not how that works. They don't explode heads. Well, they might have been uh, exploding bullets, Dingus. We oh, don't. Good know. lord. Uh, did you guys? Do you guys know who Gene Jones is? Like, did that bother you too? That they did nothing with him? Who? Uh, so Gene Jones is the awesome fella in No Country for Old Men. Who Javier Bardem uh, has that that quarter scene in the gas station with him. Gene uh, Jones is in. A really interesting Thai West movie called The Sacrament, where he basically plays Jim Jones, the charismatic leader mm. of this this suicide cult. Uh, they cast him to be I don't know Fat Dave or whatever his name was to sweet, basically sit there and get, Sweet Dave, yeah, to basically just sit there and get stabbed. Oh. And Gene Jones is a great actor. He's got this this like amazing sincerity to him, which mm. you can see in No Country for Old Men. In The Sacrament, he's got this really strange charisma. Uh, and so when he shows up as Sweet Dave, I was like, oh, awesome. And no, he just gets stabbed in the back. And he's, he's basically just there because he's fat, which no. – uh, and no, he, Country all of, was his first movie, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean he, he wasn't an actor. Like it's not – that's not his background. It's, and that's probably where all that sincerity comes from. Yeah. But I love that guy, and he just showed up long enough to get stabbed, whatever. Uh, like all what, those other What characters. did you think of Demi and Bashir? Oh, I love that guy. I, what did I see him? Oh, he's it. You guys haven't seen Dom Hemingway, this awesome movie, the best oh. Jude Law has done forever. Uh, Demi and Bashir and, and Jude Law do some great stuff in Dom Hemingway. I love that guy. And he was really funny. By the way, that's not a fake accent, too. Like, that's how that guy really talks, really? Which, is, which is hilarious. Um, it's so weird. It sounds, I don't know if you guys know about Strong Bad, but he sounds totally like Strong Bad. Any, anything he's doing is like, oh, well, I, I don't do this. The, everything he's doing vocally reminds me of that Strong Bad character. Well, everything I've seen him in, he's got a pretty thick accent. Uh, but he was a little more gravelly in, in this. Well, he wasn't that way in A Better Tomorrow or A Better uh, – actually, it's A Better Life, I think, um, which is the Justin movie. Justin Lin movie? Yeah, well, which is a movie that he did a Better couple of years tomorrow. ago. Is it A Better Tomorrow? Yeah, there's nothing about it. That was Justin Lin's first movie, wasn't it? I think Dingus might be thinking of something else, though. What are you talking? Not the James Bond thing, Dingus. Is that what you mean? No, 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 no. I'm talking about the movie, the the big movie that he did. A couple, not big movie, but you the, lost me in your wagon. Sorry. Yeah, I ju- I just know him from uh, Dom Hemingway. Um, but so in Better Tomorrow, he wasn't, or whatever the movie is. No, it's, a, it's definitely A Better Life. I don't know if it, uh, who life. it was directed by, but it's A Better Life, and it's about him trying to make a life for himself in America. Oh, I, not I, the one where he's a janitor and his son, about him and his a relationship between him and his son? He's not a janitor. He's like, he's, 
he's kind of a gardener. He's trying to uh, get his own truck to no, trim trees. No, I remember. That's, that's Damien Bashir. I love that. And it's, yeah. it's not John. It's like John Sales or Ken Loach or – oh, I, no. Uh, I can't remember who did who did it, but it's not – what. Anyway. No, I think you're right. So Better Tomorrow, Kelly and I were thinking of a different movie. Uh, Better Life, I, I totally know the movie you're talking about, and I, I didn't realize like that was it's him. I love him. Yeah. I loved him from that. And I really loved him in that. Um, uh, I didn't really care for the movie that much cause, just because it felt really predictable to me. But, I I mean, it's it's a fine movie. But he's really, really good in it. And then in him in this, his voice, his vocal choices are so weird. He's so weird in this, but he's just so strong. And yeah. I... I did like him in this very much. So, Dingus, you're right. A Better Life, and I didn't realize this, to Chris White's directed it. Oh, damn. Yeah. Fuck. Okay. So, yeah, I totally I didn't realize that was him. Uh, awesome. I totally forgot it was Chris Wright. But he was yeah. fascinating to watch, and I liked Michael Park's son, uh, who's the guy with the tassels. Um, I, I, think- I, I read Walton Goggins, you know, I, he's Man, always fascinating to watch, and I loved how committed he was to what I thought was just kind of trashy, but... I thought he was fascinating to watch. Tim Roth, I could have done without his Christoph Waltz yeah. impression. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I thought. I think we all saw the same thing, but you guys were like, fucking shut up. When <laughs> 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 you rascal. Like, well, to be fair, though, early like, on, I was kind of like, I, I was very curious about where it was going. Right. Uh, it was kind of weird seeing Kurt Russell playing a rube and going back to doing – because in Bone Tomahawk, by the way, he doesn't do that goofy John Wayne voice, which is right. straight out of Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. Uh, so to watch him being – I mean he's obviously a dope in this. So I was curious where it was going, but once I realized where it was going, once I saw we were going to do this contained murder mystery, uh, it just – it completely lost me in the way it ended up. I just and there was so much pointless race baiting and just sadism and that stuff I like, but the murder <laughs> mystery stuff didn't seem very like sad. Like the flashbacks seemed pointless. Like I don't think we got we didn't learn any information from that that we really. Did. That was a structural thing, and I know that yeah. drives Dingus crazy. And I I was kind of okay with that. But it's just so death proof. Like Zoe Bell's in the same. Yeah. What? I mean, that's another thing. Too, Zoe Bell, like I love her smile, and they're just gonna shoot her and throw. And her it was in a really good part of the movie. Like oh wait, the shootout's finally happening. Wait, hang on. Yeah. Ten minutes earlier, Sky. Uh, what was it? Skylight. What was the alien movie? Where it goes to Skyline. Skyline. Skyline, yeah. Skyline. But so, Kelly, you liked that? Because here, here's the thing that bothered me. I Not know the flashback. that. Pardon? Not the flashback. I didn't no, I'm talking about the race baiting, like the, the racial aspect. <laughs> of the way. So here's the here's my problem with it. Um, I know that Quentin Tarantino can t- tell interesting stories about race. And Pulp Fiction has this amazing bit where he's actually in it, and I approve of him being in it because he's he's nattering, he's annoying, that's okay. And he's got that line about, do you see a sign on my lawn that says dead nigger storage? And it's like, ew, don't say that to Samuel L. Jackson. But then later, you find out that his wife is black. Right, and and, right. and that, that's nuanced, and it, it brings into – it forces you to think how you feel, uh, what your attitude and your preconceptions are about this character. Um, and I love that little moment and what he does in subverting the expectations in Pulp Fiction, whereas everything here – felt about as nuanced as something Donald Trump would say. Right, right. Like, it's just so blunt and obvious and over right. the top and uh, and just – it was just rabble-rousing, I thought. But I, I saw this movie with a lot of black people, and we all laughed together. 
like oh crazy Tarantino. What did you think was funny about that? Though? Yeah, I don't get I I don't get him using the word nigger in this way. I mean, it just feels like he's just trying to get away with something. I don't get it. Um, the uh, the scene of violent sexual that Tom. Oh yeah, yeah. So is it, is he, he's not talking about the monologue, is he? The no, the no, the uh, fellatio bra. Right, right, the model. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. So we don't actually see that, really. I mean, okay, I guess we kind of... No, we do right, see, right. We do. We see the well, we see naked head, guy. We see the guy yeah. kneeling in front of it. I mean, right. that's, yeah, it's not yeah. like they're actually showing anything, but it's a, it's implied. But oh. the intermission was right after that, and everyone applauded. <laughs> All by, uh... Yeah, I don't. I don't see anything just, worthy of applause. It just was sadistic and pointless, and because it was like just oh, oh Tarantino, you create. It's like the Agatha Christie, like you read the fifty eighth Hercule Poirot, and you go. Eh. But see, Tarantino is the guy who did that really cool moment, right? You know, I know. where you got the where you have them imagining Quentin Tarantino's wife coming home and seeing them carrying the body, and whoa, he's married to a black woman. Like right. he, he's a he should be above that kind of crap at this right. point. I think um, it's his departed, and unfortunately for me. <sighs> the script for Bone Tomahawk just makes this yeah. movie oh, well, completely yeah. irrelevant. I mean, yeah. I, I I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, that's I, a great way to put it, Dingus. Yeah, so go, go ahead. Yeah, it's just... I won't contest that. Part of it is hearing Kurt Russell say dialogue from both movies um, and the way he does it, but it's just... There's no... I felt bad. I I felt bad for this movie while I was watching it because of Bone Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk Dingus is so good at being uh, natural and not feeling contrived, but being really, really smart and insightful. Right. Uh, and I don't think this has any of that. It's the polar opposite. It's super self-aware. It's very Tarantino patter. It doesn't feel natural. Uh, and I don't think it was smart at all. Like Kelly liked the, this idea of hatefulness in it, but I just thought it was like sadistic and pointless. Uh, but even so, the racial uh, moments in Bone Tomahawk yeah, yeah, are yeah. more on the point. I mean, think about the professor, just the professor yeah. character. Yeah. yeah. And Matthew Fox. But, yeah. Uh, so overs and unders, I, I picked for my uh, my over was Death Proof just because, and I don't like Death Proof. I'm oh wait, now I remember what I was gonna say. Oh, go ahead, just really yep. quick. Uh, like this, maybe this is the dumbest point I'll even make about it. But like, I didn't get to see Bone Tomahawk in the theater, so the fact uh, maybe maybe I tricked myself um, into like, oh look, it's Kurt Russell in a western on the big screen. Mm-hmm. It's like a companion piece to Bone Tomahawk. Like, I got to see Kurt Russell. And, and that's part of it, and like Dingus is saying, that's part of what made me just not have any you know, disappointed as I had seen, yeah. But then I saw Bone Tomahawk again, like, right after it, and I, I kind of did feel what you're talking about. Like, oh, this is so much... And visually, too, I mean, I don't... When you guys see The Revenant, The Revenant has some of the most amazing visuals and camera work, and it, it, it you know, it oh, knows... Yeah, The Revenant is amazing, and... and ah, you bastard. And, well, we'll talk more about that, but it, it was... <laughs> Like, you know, seeing this after The Revenant, it was just like, oh, my God. What have oh, I come to? you saw The to? Revenant before? Hey, yeah. See, like, what have I come talking to? about? I was <laughs> so hopeful for this because we have a friend who yeah. was so nuts about it. Yeah, that he yeah, wanted that did us... not help. Oh, that did not help at all. Hey, yeah. Kelly. Yeah, so go ahead, Biggis. Explain to Kelly. He, he was crazy about this. He got to see it at the screening, and he was so crazy about it that he wanted us to come see it with him uh, on Christmas Day. Really? Yeah. I would have uh, said you guys are gonna hate this movie. Oh, you would have warned us. Whereas he, yeah, was- I would have warned you. <laughs> I like. I would have said I like it, but you guys are just gonna. I know you're gonna hate it. 
So no, it's just helpful. Yeah. Well, yeah, because Dingus and I are like, okay, don't tell me anything else about it. I mean, that's, that's all I want to know is which of my friends like it and don't like it. Yeah. Beyond that, I don't want to know anything about a movie before I go to it. Uh, yeah, but you knew, like, you went, dude, you love the overnight. Like, if you you recommend different movies to different people and not for Dingus. And, right, like, right. But our friend, though, who really wanted to share a viewing of Hateful Eight with us, that right, got me right. and Dingus really hopeful. We were like, oh, right. it's enough to him that he wants us to see it with him. Terrible friend. No, just you know what? I, I'll be. Cur- I want to hear him talk about it. I want to hear why he liked it. Um, he doesn't know you very well. No, he, he knows, knows us very, very well. well. Really? And we've we've shared a lot of movies that we like together. He definitely so, does have very different tastes from us, Dingus. But I know you're Tarantino. Like, yeah. Yeah. Zone. Well, speaking of Tarantino's Zone, so my over is Death Proof simply because Death Proof had things. It has some awesome bits in it. It had things in it that that could be brilliant. By the way, another reason I hate Death Proof. Um, if you only have seen the theatrical version that does not include Vanessa Ferlito's lap dance, oh, us, anybody who would release Death Proof cutting that lap dance... Isn't it it? Exactly. Oh, my God. Why is <laughs> that? that? That is an incredibly hot scene, and she's so good in it, and he's so good in it. Um, so my over is Death Proof simply because there are things in Death Proof that could have been... that, that are brilliant. Um but it's this child basically gets his fingerprints all over it. No uh, lap dance for you. My under, uh, which I think is every bit as bad as uh, Hateful Eight, but unlike Hateful Eight, there's no unpredictability in it. Like Hateful Eight, at least I was like, okay, what's going to happen next? We'll see where it's going. Uh, Django Unchained, for me, had no mystery or unpredictability. So my under is Django Unchained, which... I think this is a worse movie, but I at least enjoyed in this movie not knowing what was going to happen. Yeah. In Django Unchained, there was none of that. Like, that was just by the numbers. Uh, so my under is Django Unchained. That's my under, too, for what it's worth, and okay. also because... Uh, now, are you bracketing, Kelly Wan? Because you, you, you liked this. Did you like Django Unchained? Less. Okay. For the reasons you said, you just said, basically, but also because Christoph Waltz departs the movie partway through, and I really missed him. Like, Jingo Chain, I think, jumps the shark after that. Mm-hmm. And um, that horse dance at the end, I felt the same way towards as Johnny Depp's dance and Alice in That was a futter dance, Kelly Wand. Oh, it was. <laughs> That's what it was called. He calls it the futter dance. Wait, I thought this was a movie about slavery and stuff. <laughs> Not shenanigans. This isn't... So, Dingus, your over was Kill Bill, which you didn't like, your bracketing. What did you like less than Hateful Eight? Uh, I would put in this, again, I am using just directors who can't help but be self-indulgent at some point in their career. Uh, and my under would be Casino. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. Man, that, that, you know, Dingus, you're making me actually yeah. want to see Casino. <laughs> yeah. Well. It is similar. That's right. Because I was thinking Dingus, too, the same thing. Like, what are, what are some directors that have completely lost touch? And I was even thinking of Hugo, um, <laughs> as good. far as like a Scorsese thing. But Casino is that bad, huh? Yeah. I wow. can't stand yeah. it. And I watched it again recently. I, uh-huh. I can't stand it. I actually consider uh, never mind. Anyway, Casino's under. And it's uh, like Bill's over. Stuff. It's actually the best. It's even more like. See, you should have made them watch Casino instead of the thing. <laughs> this is what I'm trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> Knock off of my better stuff. Uh, uh, it's like Goodfellas, but lame. All right, so Kelly Wan, your under was Django Unchained, which uh, you're, you liked this, you liked that less. What would be your over? What's something that you liked more than Hateful Eight? Uh, Bone Tomahawk, but just because I don't know the brackets. <sighs> That's not okay. Yeah, don't yeah. Uh, don't even yeah. I 
I feel bad mentioning them in the same breath. <laughs> well, if, you can't help it while you're watching this movie. Just think about it. Yeah, you're yeah, thinking help of think how, how this ruins it yeah. because of the writing. The writing and watching those. Oh my god. I'm trying to write down quotes from this movie as I'm watching it. Oh, yeah, good writing, bad writing. And all I keep thinking about is, oh, my God, how many quotes from Bone Tomahawk I love. Yeah, Kelly Wan, I don't think I could do good writing, bad writing with any, like, in any good conscience because everyone would be I, – I don't, I don't think there's good writing in this. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not thinking of certain lines. But are, are there certain lines, Kelly Wan, that really stood out for you? Um, my chicken's half-plucked right now. I assume that's grass. That's my right. yeah. Uh, that works for me. Remember that line from the movie? I think you can mine little bits out of it. But from scenes that shouldn't have gone on so long, like you got me talking politics, I didn't want to. I mean, that's that's a pretty cute little line, but everything's cute here. It's not. Yeah, but that, that for me was like more that I like Walton Goggins and I like yeah. how he made it was. Yeah. And, yeah. and I felt really bad for him actually. What? Yeah, he's, a, he's kind of the star of the movie. He really is. I mean, yeah. I mean, he does come out like. I, I think he suffers the he least off. from the bad material. Uh, yeah. But this is supposed to be the year of Walton Noggins and I and I wish that I wish that he could have I, I've been in something better than this. I mean he's fine. It's just Okay. If you want to feel bad for Walton Goggins and tell you why actually if you want to feel bad for Walton Goggins, Oscar Isaacs, Mark Wahlberg plus it's Garrett Headland, but he's already he's sort of a non issue. Yeah. So Mark Wahlberg, Oscar Isaacs and uh uh, Walton Goggins are all in this horrible movie called Mojave, which is by um, find this shit. It's by it's by a guy named William Monahan who wrote uh, The Departed. He did the the Departed adaptation for Martin Scorsese. That's his nice. main claim to fame. But he also did uh, a movie I really really like, partly for Kira Knightley's performance. I don't normally like her, where she's playing Kira Knightley, uh, not literally, but she's playing a famous actress and Colin Farrell. Is uh is basically he's he's her bodyguard. It's a movie called London Boulevard, directed by William Monaghan. So I really like this guy. He directs this utter piece of unwashable trash called uh, Mojave, and for some reason, somehow, he gets Oscar Isaac's, uh, Walton Goggins, and Mark Wahlberg to be in it. And I have no idea. It looks like it's shot on somebody's video camera. It's just it. The script is it makes- up. Uh, yeah, it's not nearly as bad as Joy. I mean, it's it's worse than Joy. Joy is not nearly as bad as Mojave. But it's really like I'm watching it, thinking, "Oh my God, I'm watching Oscar Isaac's, who's in the biggest movie of all time right now, <laughs> in this un in the smallest part, decipherable piece of junk." <laughs> yeah. So, and Walt, poor Walton Goggins is in it as well. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm supposed to feel bad for him in the. You said. Believe me, if you watch Mojave, you will feel bad for everyone except maybe. Hey, look, it's Walt Goggins, the ex- star of Mojave. Except maybe Garrett Headland, in which case you'll be going, "Ha ha!" Look what I Garrett Headland is in. What have I ever felt good for Garrett Headland? Uh, how do you feel about Bo Garrett, though? Mm. Mm. See Kelly Wand. What is this week's three by three? Let's get let's get down to that. Right, your three favorite candles. 
I loved it. I loved the moments. One of the moments I loved in uh, Hateful Eight is when they're lighting all the candles, and one of them, I think it might be Tim uh, Roth's character, goes, let's light it up. And they start lighting everything up. All right. Is that your number three, Dingus? No. (laughs) Uh, Well, Kelly Wan, you're introducing next week's 3 by 3 So why don't you start us off? You apparently, you say you loved this topic. Well, I came up with good ones, I think. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, proves it's a good topic. (laughs) Because usually I don't come up with anything smart. Um, My number three is the movie Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Because... Do you guys remember the scene with candles in that? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. It's just, um, I remember that as a very creepy scene, and it's also like the most distraught Indiana Jones we've ever seen. Well, describe the scene. Poison. We don't want to spoil the movie for people who haven't seen it. Go ahead. I I don't want to get bleeped again. (laughs) (laughs) We did. Had, did you know we had Over to bleep, George Lucas? We had to bleep what you said about the. Yeah, yeah. felt a little bad, but I no, think we took care of. It. I mean, you might have ruined it. We 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 nipped it in the bud, but yeah, you got it. So if you're listening to three by three, we might spoil some of the older movies we talk about. We try not to spoil the movie we had talked about earlier in the podcast. Right. Oh, that's the rule. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I can't keep track of all this. But anyway, Indiana Jones: The Temple of Doom. Um, Indiana Jones gets captured and um, forced to drink this potion that turns him into a thuggy cultist. Yeah. That um, the only cure for it is getting your stomach burned by a torch <laughs> by short round. Then you're fine. Mm-hmm. But the, it's like, it's maybe the scene and the shot that kind of ruins my, oh, it all takes place in one crazy day in his life. Kind of like Indiana, like uh, Empire Strikes Back. Because when he wakes up, or when he's having paroxysms from the potion, he's surrounded by candles in like this creepy cave, like the Dagobah cave. But I always thought, oh, it's like they had time to light all those candles and put them around, like surround him with them, and it's like that represents their high. Oh, that scene! Oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. Were you thinking of a different one, Dingus? I didn't know what he was talking about. I thought he was talking about. I thought he was trying to say the where short round is. Like jamming the torch into him to wake That's him not up. A candle. Yeah, the three by three police would have probably pulled yeah. over someone. I would never. Have I know that, and Tom knows that, but I don't know that you know that. <laughs> but that, I that scene where Wand, he's lying I down. I could imagine Kelly Wand arguing that a torch is a type of candle. Right. Yeah. But that scene Uh-oh. where he's lying down on that weird thing and there's yeah. candles all around him, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. It's super creepy and dark, and it's, yeah. he's screaming and crying and sobbing. And if you just think how light the movie started, and now within one light, crazy life raft ride later, he's just surrounded by candles. And that's light. one of the cool things about Temple of Doom, by the way, that it is dark. Like, that's one of my problems with that stupid Sean Connery one, is it's so, like, frivolous and light. Yeah. And doesn't right. he, like, kick some of the candles over when he's, like, he's, yeah. he's totally, like, he's got these paroxysms of, he's just, like, ugh, he's all over the place. Yeah, and it's Indiana Jones, and he's losing his mind. Yeah. Oh, damn, Kelly, that's a great one. Yeah, and it's a prequel, so this all happened before Raiders, so maybe it helped shape him into the Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones. He's like, well, at least I'm not surrounded by candles and poison. Okay, if you guys like that pick, you're going to love my number three. You ready for this? Yeah. Yeah. In Twins of Evil, 
when Count Carn. This is funny. It's serious. Now I feel bad for Walton Goggins. When Count Karnstein has summoned his ancestor. Yeah. Why are you guys laughing? Yeah, he's the villain. He's summoned his ancestor because he really wants to participate in Satanism. His ancestor's name. These these charlatans have been like doing fake Satanism in front of him. He's like, that's bull. I don't believe any of it. Then he gets blood in the tomb of his ancestor, Count. It's like Camilla Karnstein or whatever. And then she reincarnates, like literally physically, like her bones get meat back on them. And she comes up out of the grave and she's this super hot chick and they start having sex. Um, and the camera pans up. Like imagine she's on her back and she's writhing around. He's on I top am. of her and they're having sex. Uh-huh. The camera pans up <laughs> to where there's a candle above her head. And she basically, to imply the sex, she masturbates the candle, kind of, and you can tell the director was like, ideas. "You can tell the director was kind of like, now make it look natural, make it look." And it's so awkward looking. Like, imagine lying on your back and there's a candle above your head, and imagine reaching up and trying to imply that you're masturbating it, and just how awkward and weird it looks. And that right there, kind of, is Twins of Evil in a nutshell. Like, it's super hot, and then it does something really goofy that is kind of endearing. Uh, is that the one you sent me? The thing, like Luca, with the two yeah, girls, yeah, yeah. The, and this the, is one of the girls, the Collinson just... twins. No, the, interestingly, this part was offered to a woman different named, girl. This part was offered to a woman named Ingrid Pitt, who was this amazing fixture in some of those early Hammer movies. Fantastic looking woman, and she's like, "No, that's too small for me. Too small a part. I'm not going to do it." Um, so they got a different woman to play Count Camilla Karnstein, brought back. Oh, Carnilla, like the vampire. I don't know if that's actually her name. Oh, and by the way. Uh, when I was talking about Twins of Evil before, I mistakenly said that uh, that uh, Peter Cushing's name was uh, Kurt Vile. I was thinking there is a oh. real Kurt Vile. Instead, it's Gustav Vile. So that Kurt Vile's a composer. Right, right. So a lot of the listeners, you know, that's obvious. I got a lot of emails about that. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> so that's my number three is the, the – From the Vile estate. The clunky, erotic use of a candle in uh, Twins of Evil where it's supposed hey. to – it's supposed to basically be a, a penis. Oh. See? Is it lit? Yes. That's another thing, too. You can tell the director's like, What about the candle? Oh! Ooh! Wait, it's so, it, when you say clumsy, are you saying just her technique? Or the her technique is pretty clumsy. Or... You're like, that. that's the hand. It's partly because of the way she's lying, but you're also thinking that's not, if they're trying to imply that it's a penis, that, that does not look like <laughs> That's not something I would want done to my... What? The, her, her side, that woman? Her sort of jacking it the way she is, like the candle. Just, everybody who's seen Twins of Evil will know exactly what scene I'm talking about. Uh, yeah. Peter Cushing remembers yeah. this. All right, so Dingus, what is your number three favorite candle? And by the way, so mine aren't – that's not – well, it, I, it's a candle scene that I think is notable. I don't necessarily think it's good. So, oh, My third is definitely one I don't think is good, but I, uh-huh. I really – I chose it because I hate it. <laughs> Dingus, you better not steal my number two. I'm going to be so mad. No, don't worry, I won't. Um, uh, I, I am kind, one of the reasons I chose this. Uh, you know, I chose this after seeing the movie Macbeth. Um, but I, I'm constantly distracted by candles in movies and television shows where there's a hundred candles in a room where two people are having some intimate moment. And I'm just wondering who, 
when did you have time to light all these candles and who's managing this? Because, you know, I, I love lighting, I love having candles burn. I, lo- I really like that, but it takes time to light candles. You can't light a hundred of them and then hope something's going to happen. Um, so I, I love, I love scenes where a couple of characters, like a character has, uh, set up some sort of a, a romantic dinner or some sort of reconciliation or we're in the bathtub or whatever. And there's like 50 candles all around them, all of them lit and burning perfectly You're right. uh, because that's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. So, uh, my third favorite version of this is from the movie face off. Um, and oh. this, this is what I think of when, uh, when John Travolta is trying to, uh, convince i think it's joan allen joan allen um you know he's trying to have a a romantic dinner with her and there's just there's so many candles in the room i i i haven't seen face off in years but i just remember that scene where he's having a he's trying to have a romantic dinner with her and there's just a ton of candles all around them and and there's just no way one person can light all of those candles and have them all burn in that perfect way. It's one of those weird... What'd you say? He has a different face, so he has different powers. Yeah, he has different powers. But it's just one of those weird uh, Hollywood cliches that drives me absolutely up the wall. But this is my favorite one of them. It's the one from Face Off. He has a hundred candle power. (laughs) All right, Kelly, what is your second favorite candles in a movie? Wait, Dingus doesn't like Face Off enough? No, I love Face Off, but All I right. but along with his doves, that John Woo moment of we're gonna have a hundred candles in the room that there's no way this guy could have possibly lit um in order to be ready when she comes in for the dinner. Uh, I, I just I love those little ridiculous I I hate them, but I kind of I it's sort of a hate love thing. Hmm. Is there any other kind? Yep. But seriously, if I could bring the house down. My number two is from the film Body of Evidence. No, you stole my number two. You- ah, I See, thought Vegas was going to steal it, and you stole it. Body of no. Evidence? Is that the Our Madonna thing? Yes. Yeah, William Defoe. Yeah. Oh, good Lord. All right, Kelly, describe the scene for us, since you picked it before me, jerk. Uh, it's a ripoff of um, Basic Instinct. Oh, it is? That. Well, it's not, because it predates it, by the way, doesn't it? Um, isn't it Predates? No, See, no, it doesn't. You're right. It absolutely. There's doesn't. no way. Body of evidence. <laughs> well, no, 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 you're right. Just in my mind. What yeah. I'm thinking of is they insist, uh, and I forgot who Uli Adele, I think, insists that they had already started shooting when Basic right. Instinct came out, so therefore they couldn't have been ripping it off. Right. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, def- she has the exact was, same. Hey, she's blonde. Looks yeah. Like it was definitely like a year after Basic Instinct. He's a cop. She's a killer, or possible killer. So, but there's a wax scene in Basic. Right. Right. Instinct. Uh no. Oh oh oh. <laughs> so what what is it? Oh, so you're just saying that was the impro- Yeah. It's a whole is ripping off basic instinct. Oh yeah. Right. Well, describe it's, the scene for us because it's well, right. This was the one good part of it, like where they embroidered, they improved on basic instinct. I right. thought is uh, Madonna is, uh, and I want to Tom. This is a new contest. I want you to tell me what to you is the gross part of this, if any. There's a fair number of them. So go ahead. Okay, for me, there's just one part, but maybe it's more reflection on me. But, like, she's pouring champagne. Well, she's pouring hot wax all over William Defoe's chest, which already looks kind of waxy to me. 
And then she's pouring champagne on it, and then she's licking off that encrusted mixture. Right, exactly. On the hot wax, the cold yeah. champagne, and then it's supposed to be erotic as she licks it. And you're thinking, yeah, ew, what is that? Like, yeah. What's that? And then she kisses him, so he has to taste it. Now, I don't know if you get let's, I Look, we all watch <laughs> porn here. I don't want to – let's just say for Wait, the of our right? that Hold we on. all watch porn. I don't know about you guys, but every now and then mm-hmm. – Let's say if I were to watch porn and there was a scene yes. in the porn movie where two people are in a bathtub and they've got bubble bath going in there uh-huh. and the woman is doing certain things to the man. And it totally takes me out of the scene when it's like, oh, my God, she just put a bubble bath encrusted member in her mouth. Yeah, yeah. I, I already think it's great. I would she never want to put – I wouldn't want that in my mouth, but I certainly wouldn't want uh. it in my mouth that has bubble bath on it. And like when somebody's like licking someone's – chest or whatever and there's there's like bubble bath i'm like ew gross don't do that you know what to me is gross is tasting myself like if she did that and kissed me i'm like ugh, i just want you keep keep tainting it with or don't taint it with is that what you're trying to say mm, wow i wish you hadn't said the word taint i mean soap's way worse tom you're right <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I sometimes maybe it's just I'm too analytical when I watch. If I were to watch porn, um, but yeah, just when you've got the bubble bath there and it gets in someone's mouth, it takes that. You know, I I think I need to stop smoking weed before I have sex. That's my takeaway. Right. I mean, what sometimes I'll be finding, like I'll be thinking like, you know, she really shouldn't wear those shoes on that upholstery. It could damage the couch or things like. I bet that pool is a huge pain in the butt to maintain, or there's no way that guy has enough money to live in that house. Like, porn that isn't realistic just doesn't do it for me. It's got to be plausible. That's That's what what I think during sex, too. That's why I only watch GIF porn. I don't know what that is. I watch butter? (laughs) Peanut butter porn? You know what else? Did I say GIF? I didn't say GIF. I said GIF. Madonna's face in that scene. She's well, she like thinks she's being so. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and right. it, it really looks like she's trying too hard. Yeah, she's t- yeah, she's still going, huh? Yeah, look at this. <laughs> Your face. It's me. Well, doing- if you remember, Kelly, on the way the scene progresses, is first she pours it on his chest, and then the champagne. So, oh! She pours it on his tummy, and then the champagne. Then she pours it a third time below where the camera can show it, yeah. and that one doesn't get, by the way, champagne on it. It's just like she's pouring wax on this junk. And I remember seeing that and thinking, you know, uh-huh. is that, is that supposed to be hot? Like, am I not understanding something about how sex works, that this is what people are doing, and it's supposed to be, like, provocative or erotic? Because they think I wanted to watch Madonna have sex with Liam Defoe. Well, it's the wax, just the wax on his junk. I'm like, I don't understand the point of that. Who, who would be into that? Maybe that's the whole point of the scene. Uh, and erotic thrillers, by the way. Uh, when we see things like like body heat and basic instinct and body of evidence, is that how people back in the '40s saw like double indemnity? Mm-hmm. You know, like those old black and white movies in the '40s where you see somebody's ankle, for instance. Yeah, they go home and have sex. Or... So back then, that was like the super. That was the version of an erotic thriller. <laughs> I want to know what they did in the 1840s. Well, what is it called? Dingus? Isn't it double indemnity? No, no, you're right. I'm just. Oh. I'm laughing at the idea of double indemnity being like we got to see somebody's ankle. But wouldn't that have been construed yeah. as an erotic thriller back in the day? I mean, not about prehistoric. Oh yeah, yeah. Isn't that the equivalent? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, and yeah, so it wasn't like 
I guess Postman always rings twice. Like when they did the Jack Nicholson, Jessica Lange one, like that kind of created this modern day, hey, let's do an R-rated real erotic thriller. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're because right. that was actually, that had been made in the 40s as well, I think. It's, it's like a, I doubt the kitchen table scene was in the original one. Um, I don't understand. The dinosaurs had sex in the open for hundreds of millions of years, and we're like, oh. What? <laughs> An ankle. Oh. Yeah, and look what happened to them. So, yeah, see, Kelly Wand, your, your anthropology falls apart at that point. Good dinosaur. Dingus, Kelly Wand and I both chose the can, the famous Madonna candle scene from Body of Evidence as our number two. By the way, that was the sound William Defoe made when the wax hit him. Oh! <laughs> it's <laughs> really sexy when he flinches and whimpers. Uh, Dingus, what is your number two choice for a favorite candle? All right, here's a quote from it. Now listen to me very carefully. No, oh. I, he's doing Mel Brooks. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Don't put the candle. <laughs> I think he's a huge nerd, but I like the acting that accompanied it. So I support Dingus. Right. It's Young Frankenstein. It's a classic scene, Tom. What are you bitching about? <laughs> Mel Brooks doesn't really work for me. Any of it? Right. You don't like Young Frankenstein? Not even I, Young I, Frankenstein? No, I like watching. I love Peter Boyle and Gene. Uh, not Gene Hackman. Uh, Gene Wilder in Young Frankenstein. But Wait, Gene nope. Hackman, too. Yeah. In Young no, he's the blind guy. Yeah. It's he's Marty Feldman. Nice try. Um, <laughs> Listen, oh, the blind guy. I'm sorry. That. The eyes guy. Right, Peter right. Boyle. You guys... Gene Hackman is the is a blind guy in uh, Young Frankenstein? Yes. That's yeah. all. My, like his thumb. I like those actors, but I just. Mel Brooks' jokes don't really work for me. In Young Frankenstein, the sure, yeah. I'm gonna make espresso. That's not funny to you. I don't even remember that joke. That's how much it registered with me. Oh Adam, wow! Uh... But I know what Dingus is talking about, and I watched that scene, and I'm like, okay, whatever. Terry oh, Garfield's a This, this is one of the reasons I chose this thing. I love that. I love. Yes, I, I support you. I love two moments in this. Terry Gar. <laughs> well. Oh, uh, how dare you! <laughs> What? That I can, love. I can see the appeal of that, of her. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But when uh, when Frau Blucher is going up the stairs and she says, oh, stay close to the candle, the stairway can be treacherous. And she's carrying a candelabra in her arm. <laughs> I suggest you put on a tie. <laughs> what about the guy's the robot arm? Tom doesn't think that's funny. Well, that the tires, <laughs> the dart. I never, I never care for that. Pretty, pretty much because of Doctor Strangelove. That mm. all that Kenneth like Mars, that, that Kenneth Mars stuff just feels. Which stops? Yeah, all that like nice grouping of your shots. I mean the, that that stuff seems very Doctor Strangelovey. Uh, but the the one I'm choosing is the uh, put the candle don't don't do not put the candle back. All that candle the candle gag. Um, when they're doing the the revolving door thing, I freaking love that stuff. When I saw that movie, I didn't know it was a comedy. I just thought it was the latest Frankenstein movie. And by the end of it, I still was convinced it was just the latest Frankenstein. Oh, Gene Wilder does it now instead of uh, Boris Karloff. That's interesting. <laughs> oh, Zardoz next week. What Tom doesn't care for Young Frankenstein. He doesn't understand. No, he hates any of the Paul humor. Mel Brooks. All but pretty not a hate. I mean, I awesome just I don't I don't find his jokes funny. It's just not my kind of. Well, there, I certainly don't care for Blazing Saddles. I I will never watch that movie. I can't I'm gonna stand back it. Shitload of dimes. But I but I love Young Frankenstein. Yeah. 
Uh, I like both of them, and even the lamest Mel Brooks. I think I have. You don't like Dracula Dead and Loving It, Tom? Good lord, no. It's yeah. The, the longer Mel Brooks goes on, the more tired it gets. To what about Get Smart? Uh, he did the Get Smart movie. Him and Buck Henry. Oh no, the Get Smart TV series, right? Yeah. Buck Henry, though, I can go with. Like Buck Henry had this like weird element to his stuff. Mm, yeah. Whereas whereas Mel Brooks is just pure shtick. Yeah. He invented the shoe phone, and yep. Buck Henry did the cone of silence. I like the stuff that Buck Henry came up with. I don't even like what was it? High anxiety. I can't stand that movie. High anxiety. That one's kind of a lesser Brooks, but I mean, if Tom doesn't like Young Frankenstein, we can't turn him. <laughs> if that's all, if that's the best Mel Brooks has got, yeah. Sorry. I think so yeah. You know what? Young Frankenstein might be the only Mel Brooks movie I like. Blazing Saddles um, is an intense experience. Jeez, I think I think I think this is the only Mel Brooks movie I like. See, Kelly Wan Dingus has come over to my side now. What do you think about that? You thought it's, you had an ally. Well, I think it's a brilliant movie, but I don't think but I overall, like right. anything else he liked. I don't think anything else he's done. I Kelly like. Wan, why don't you try to work on Dingus some? Go ahead, ask him about certain Mel Brooks movies. Not even Dracula Dead and Loving It, Dingus. I don't, what's, I, your, <laughs> what's your favorite Mongo? Uh, line in Blazing Silence. I don't like Blazing I've Silence. I've seen such cruelty. All right, if we're done quoting Mel Brooks jokes, sorry. Let's move on. No, no, you guys. I, I don't want to stop you guys. Uh, let's go on to Kelly Wan's favorite candle in a movie. Or candles. <laughs> yeah, let's stop goofing off. It's just some serious film criticism. That's so faffing about. God. Where do you hear it? Wait to hear my number one. You want to get serious, boy. Okay, go on, Kelly Wand. Okay, Dingus, it's a number one off. Yep. Get ready to make some rulings. Yep. All right. And remember who backed you up on Young Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> um, my number one is... <laughs> can't even... <laughs> you can't even say it. Oh, my you, God. You just pulled yourself over. <laughs> I'm bummed, too, because Dingus won't have seen it, and Tom will just giggle at me and go, Nope! 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 <laughs> you know how he talks. <laughs> Uh, my number one is the ending of House of Wax. <clears throat> uh, go ahead. Let's hear this. I mean, it's wax. It's not a candle, but let's let's hear what okay, you Okay, it's the whole house, though. Oh, <laughs> wow. Thing is, I don't even think I need to say anything about this. You're, whatever instinct you may have about this pick, you're probably, you should run with. The wax <laughs> museum, it's a house. Yeah, go ahead. It catches yeah. fire at the end. Yeah, yeah. So it's so a on. giant candle. Yeah, and it melts, just like wax. Yeah, it's yeah. the most epic. It's the biggest. Kelly one, where's the wick in this house? The John wick at the top of the roof chimney. Uh, Dingus, I, I believe you, you might need to uh, uh, execute a little law here. I thought yeah. I was being creative. Like like the LAPD being a coward. Right. It's, <laughs> it's like if we chose like a topic about fire and you said, hey, there's a bunch of ashes over there. That's my, that's my choice. <laughs> Matter changes forms. It's the, not identity. Wait, there's a character named Ash. And he's in a movie, so I'm going to choose that. Kelly Wan, Alien and Evil, dude. Uh, that's, that's you're, you're under arrest. Kelly Wan, if you wanted to sell Dingus on this, you should have led with who the director is of House of Wax. The chimney's like a wig. Oh, um, <laughs> Alexander Aja. Are you serious? You think House of Wax is an Alexander Aja movie? <laughs> David Lynch? Keep going. Uh, Vincent Price. Um, Adam Kay? We've Adam done K. one of his movies. I don't know who it is, though. 
Wes Anderson's... Wes Anderson. Really. Seriously, do you really not know? I'm really disappointed. I can't remember. Well, get used to that feeling. I'll just say one word. You ready? You ready yeah. for one word? Mm-hmm. Orpen. Oh, I don't know that guy's name. Juan Colette Serra. He did oh, Orphan. of course. You really like Orphan? We didn't care for nonstop. I don't think you guys ever saw Run All Night, but it's my favorite, like, Liam Neeson just balls out action movie. That oh, wow. Her names with hyphens in them. Yeah. Was that this year? Oh, no. Run All Night. You know what? I think it is, actually. It's, like, early this year. Run All Night. Like it would not. It's got top ten material, but as far as like, it's got it's got really good actors and it's got a really smart script and there's some really cool sort of unhinged action sequences and it's super R rated and it uses New York as a great, you know, it's mm-hmm. clearly set in yeah. New York and not Vancouver pretending to be New York and it looks great and yeah and it's not as good as Orphan but uh, it's definitely a good Juan Colette Serra movie. Well, I like. Movie. I remember you talking about it because um, it was. All over posters and bus yeah. bus posters and whatnot, and you know, Kieran, my my son would ask me about it, and, and for whatever reason, you know, it's very difficult for me to get to the you know to get to movies at certain times because of childcare and whatnot. So there was no way that I was going to get. Well, to I see wasn't going to see it either. Like we could have done yeah. a podcast, and I just ended up renting it later. But uh, yeah, it's it, it, we we all thought it was because Juan Sierra, he did Unknown, then he right. did On Stop. Oh. And you just sort of think, oh, it's just another yeah. one of those. What's the point? And it's clear it's not another one of those. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was going to be of a piece with those two things. Yeah. And I remember you saying or posting that uh, that it was worth watching, and I still haven't gotten to see it. Oh, damn. So, so Kelly Wan, you should. So, House of Wax is Juan Calisera's first movie. Uh, I like movie titles that are complete sentences, like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That's not what. what? <laughs> the verb in that. Close. <laughs> oh, closing. I say second person imperative. What yeah. the encounter? I say right, it's a right. warning to the aliens. So they they, wait, wait, how is House of Oh, Run All Night is a sentence. I say not House yeah. of Wax, right. Also, House second, of Wax is a pronoun. Well. Yeah. So yeah, House of Wax has been rejected. I'm afraid. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, uh, then I change it to. Nope, stand by because get this. I'm about to I'm about to whip out a Francois Truffaut movie. Don't, don't whip out anything. Yep, I'm gonna whip out a candle from a Francois Truffaut movie. Uh, this is a movie that I actually haven't seen. I was gonna watch it. But, so what I did with this three by three, and I apologize. These were kind of just the first three that came to mind for me, and I could have like mined other movies and been looking for things. But this is a terrible time of year to just watch movies for that. So I didn't get to rewatch Day for Night which is a classic Truffaut movie about making movies. Um, but I vividly remember uh, from when I was a kid and I saw this movie, and I, I'm sure it was completely lost on me, but something that really stuck out for me, um, Day for Night is basically, it's kind of almost like Fellini's Eight and a Half, where it's Truffaut making a movie about him making movies, and it's very self-referential. Uh, and there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff where you're just like, you're watching something that you think is part of the movie, and then it pulls back, and it's actually people shooting this. And then now that's part of the movie. It's very meta. Um, so there's a moment in Day for Night where uh, Truffaut, who plays the director himself, he's having a conversation with someone, and a prop guy comes up to him and shows him a fake candle. And the candle, it just looks like a normal candle. And there's a flame that you light at the top of it. But it, the back of the candle, the side facing away from the camera, has a super bright bulb in it so that when an actor holds it with the flame lit at the top, it's vividly, it's brightly lighting the actor's face 
but from the perspective of the audience watching the film, it looks like the light is being thrown from the flame of the right. camp. Yeah. Uh, and I remember seeing that and thinking, whoa, that's how they do that? Cool. Because, you know, not every movie is like Barry Lyndon where he actually shoots with candlelight. Like, that's an exception. You don't do that. Candles don't provide enough light to really make a good film. You have to run the film super high speed. It looks very specific. So you cheat stuff like that. And the first time I saw that in Day for Night, it actually made me think about, you know, how do you get enough light on the set? And and ever since then, I noticed things like when you've got a bedroom scene and there's like a husband and wife and they've got like a light, uh, a, a bedside lamp. It's supposedly throwing the light in the scene, and at some point they reach over and turn off the light, and you can tell that the I don't know it's the gaffer or whoever <laughs> turns off the all the lights in the room. Right. At that moment, yeah. like wait a minute, all that light was not coming from that lamp. They're trying to trick me. Um, so that cool little gimmick that they show at the beginning of of day for night that just had an impact on me as a kid seeing that, uh, and it made me sort of think about lighting in, in movies. So, and then later on, by the way. Uh, Jacqueline Bissett is amazingly beautiful. She like comes into the movie as the actress later on, and they show them shooting scenes with her, like using that special candle. And she's having to say, you know, is this right? Do I hold it this way? Uh, just very cool behind the scenes stuff. I'd like to flick her. <sighs> Kelly wants so inappropriate. Come on, wow. Jack. Soon a candle. <laughs> Too soon. So Kelly Wong comes up with House of Wax. I have a Francois Truffaut movie. I don't understand this. It's like if I don't do the topic right, I should have to submit something correct. Because if you get pulled over in RL, they don't just go, okay, you're now chief of police, which is basically what you're telling me. Wait, no, you've been given a ticket. You're in jail. I think is he in jail or just have you just given him a citation? Uh, I think because of his number three choice, he gets just a citation and he'll be fine. You got off easy that time, Kelly Wand. I would have thrown you in jail. I love, I love his number three choice. I always get off easy. <laughs> Dingus, what is your favorite candle in a movie? All right, my number one favorite candle in a movie is from the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. Actually, you sounded like you were what? Sound like you were doing it. I sounded like what? You sounded at the end of saying Raiders of the Lost Ark like you were slipping into a Carrie Fisher voice. Oh, like uh, I don't know what that was? I will never do that voice because I find it offensive. <laughs> I don't know which I find more offensive, that or his. It's both sexist and ageist. <laughs> God, I can't stand it. It's so you terrible. You hate science fiction. <laughs> so I don't know if, if that's that. worse or, or the uh, white man voice. I don't know which. Uh, they're worse. both they're both awesome, but but I really did feel bad. It's not a spoiler. It's Carrie Fisher. Is in Force Awakens, which we mostly loved. Uh, it really, like, it's so unfair mm-hmm. what yeah. the way we look at Carrie Fisher, and because of, like all the plastic surgery she's had, that like women in Hollywood have to go through yeah. that. Yeah. Whereas guys like Harrison Ford can be gray and wrinkly, and it looks distinguished. Yeah, I just that really it did. Like, it, first of all, it made me feel bad for Carrie Fisher, but it also made me just keenly aware of how difficult actresses have it in Hollywood. And it, like, it wasn't funny to me, and it was kind of sad, and I felt bad for her, and I felt bad for every actress in Hollywood. Uh, and I felt the same way about poor Karen Allen in that Crystal Skull movie. Um, yeah, me too. I appreciate your support. <laughs> and I was trying to explain it to somebody this week, and they just wouldn't hear me. Like, you thought it was funny? or No, they didn't understand the difference between what 
men don't have to do. I mean, Harrison Ford can just pretty much smoke pot for 20, 30 years. And then, then he gets to stumble in and be, and, and all the women in the world 20 and up are like, man, he's sexy. And then, and Carrie Fisher has to tool with her face for all that time. I mean, it's just not fair. It's horrible. I don't like it. I'm still yeah. wearing the sleeve now. <laughs> and then Kelly wants. <laughs> Kelly, that's not sexy. funny. That's not the least bit funny, Kelly Wand. You're terrible. No. And she doesn't even sound like that, by the way. <laughs> she looks like she might sound like that, but she doesn't sound like that. I do think that. It's, it's not from I mean, the surgery. It's from the ashes. Stop it. Kelly's exaggerating, but I think there was clearly some, like, I don't know if it's like a Botox thing, but the way her mouth moved was... Like, there did seem to be some kind of uncomfortable impediment. It's a different there. galaxy. I'm not human. <laughs> I, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> anyway, there's this great movement in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And uh, it's in the bar where Karen and Allen is sitting there. Uh, it's oh. right after um, Indiana Jones has just left. And he's asked her about the medallion. Do you have it? Do you have it or not? He finally leaves. This is before Tote comes in. And she's sitting there in front of this candle on the on this table. And she pulls the medallion out from where, you know, it's been hanging around her neck. So she pulls it out of her blouse. And she holds it up and she looks at it. This is what Indiana Jones wants. And this is what is going to get her out of this. And she turns it. And there's this weird moment where she turns it. And... And and the wind or whatever it is makes the candle that's right in front of her uh, flicker, um, and it and it and it's a very deliberate ca- camera thing that we're between the candle and her. The camera is uh, on the other side of the candle, and so we see the candle flicker as if that turning this medallion has made this weird almost supernatural thing happened where the candle flickers um and i i just love that little moment where she turns the medallion makes the candle flicker she looks at the candle and it's this is this thing supernatural or not uh and i like that moment so Dick, can i back up to my uh number three real quick stingus made me think of another great candle in twins of evil and i'm sure a lot of the listeners also were like Oh, Dingus's point just made me think of the other candle in Twins of Evil. Right. Uh, in Twins of Evil, because they have twins, they do a gimmick. So the idea, of course, you can't see a vampire in the mirror, right? So at one point, uh, one of the twins, the one who becomes the evil one, uh, I think that's Maria. I might be mis- mixing them up, in which case I'm sure we'll get plenty of email correcting me. But she goes off. <laughs> she goes off to see Count Karnstein. After he has been converted to basically a vampire. And there's a point where they walk in front of a mirror. And the point of the scene is, uh, you know, Maria is sitting there next to Count Karnstein. But in the mirror, you only see her. You don't see Count Karnstein. So the way they have done this is they have the other Collinson twin on the other side of a hole in the wall with another fake room that's created standing there imitating the same stance that her sister is taking but naturally with no actor on that side of the room to represent count karnstein so in one shot you see count karnstein and maria and then this supposed reflection which is the other madelinson twin alone without count karnstein the problem is that they have situated right in front of the mirror a candle (laughs) so in the other room there is another candle 
that's supposed to be the reflection. However, the little flickering flames are not, you can't, you can't synchronize that. Right. Like, they're obviously completely different candles. There's even like a draft going in the other room, which is kind of leaning to one side. And it's just like glaring. I mean, you know it's a trick anyway, but the candle right there just calls attention to the fact that it's a trick and it, it's kind of endearing. Again, emblematic of, of what you get in that movie, Twins of Evil. Luke and I were also twins, Tom. <laughs> I think it's what the listeners have for us. For All right, we have uh, we only have a couple. This is Arthur Giovanni. Oh. Oh. Uh, while I would like to provide some illuminating selections for this topics, huh. I am afraid my picks are a bit tallow. Hmm. Ooh, like- ouch. I really like you. (laughs) (laughs) Number three, the Muppet Christmas Carol. Jesus Christ, I hate this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, so quickly. Worst tickets ever. After being frightened by this door knocker, Michael Caine searches his dark house with a fire poker and a candles for light. I love the image of a person searching a dark house with a candle and wants to include one, but this is the only one I could think of. Tis the season, I guess. Still, a cool image that is enhanced by Kane's costume and significant sideburns. Uh, Arthur's number two is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. (laughs) Robin Hood forces his enemy's hand into a candle flame forcing them to drop their dagger, a clever use of the environment to disarm his opponent. And Arthur's number one, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Whoa, huh. What are we... Dingus, do you know what he's talking about without reading ahead? I don't, actually. I have no idea. Whatever it is, I love this pick. Go on. Uh, Major George Height's young wife seductively blows out a candle after she and Dick Little uh, happen to meet up in the privy. Yeah. Blowing out a candle is always a nice image, and this is no exception. It's a very brief shot, but it is so sexy that I felt it was worth including. It's a great way to cut away from a scene, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's when Paul Schneider, he's staying at, like, it's like his, his friend's uncle's house, and his friend is like, whatever you do, don't mess with his young wife. Right, uh, yeah. And Paul Schneider does indeed mess with her, and, you yeah. know, that's a good pick. Good. Yeah, I like that blowing I didn't think of a candle being blown out. I yeah, Arthur... Thinking. Kelly Wan might hate you, but I don't. Yeah. Another movie with a complete sentence is the title. What's the verb in that? Um, assassin. (laughs) (laughs) Next, we have Nick Smith. Hey, guys. Thanks for the great pods and entertaining movie chants. This is the second 3x3 I'm sending in my picks for. By the way, so I... I feel bad for Nick because he doesn't have like a really dramatic, cool. Like, he doesn't have a lead character in a movie kind of name. Nick Smith, though. Nick Smith. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It does have a nice. Snack. It's like a secret identity. Uh, he, you know what? I take that back. Yeah. Well, not a lead character, but a, a like a like the actor's name. Nick Smith is. Yeah, but yeah. Kelly Wan also like it could be like some dramatic character's secret identity. Like, yeah. Hmm. I take it back. All right. Except it's not alliterative. Uh, and there's no verb in it. So Nick Wait, goes is. on to say, I thought the best missiles w- topic was hard, but this was much more difficult for me, at least. Uh, number three, Anchorman. <laughs> oh, dadgummit. It's going to be a Steve Carell joke. I, oh. Brick oh, eats, that's a good one. Brick yeah. eats a red candle. Yeah. 
Admittedly, the candle is never actually seen on screen, so the 3x3 police might pull me over for this one. But I like living dangerously. At least it can't be argued that having a dumb character eat a candle isn't a I don't even know what this is. It's a hilarious non sequitur where, because the idea is that Steve Carell's character is just an idiot. And it's just a non sequitur where people announce things and then he says, I ate a candle. It's actually kind of funny. I do oh, have He okay. brings a grenade to the uh, right. game. Yeah, it's making me like Anchorman. Get it. Well, you know what? All you have to do to, if you like Anchorman to cure yourself of that is watch Anchorman 2. Anchorman 2, yeah. Yeah, that'll be right. uh, Okay, so Nick's number two, our idiot brother. Just a couple of guys and a dog making candles. There isn't much to this scene, but it's a cute bit between two good friends, and I like when Paul Rudd assures T.J. Miller that his penis-shaped candle isn't ugly, and that there is, in fact, no such thing as an ugly homemade candle. <laughs> I've never seen this movie, but you just made me love it. Yeah, now it sounds good. It sounds like yeah. I love you, man, subprime one. <laughs> and also, Miller. I love T.J. Miller so much. And Paul Rudd, okay, thank you. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> Wait, Tom, you haven't seen that either? No, I haven't. I Paul Rudd completionist. <laughs> Yeah, his penis-shaped candle isn't ugly. <laughs> what's what's the one where Paul Rudd goes to like a, a a villa in France? You guys know what I'm talking about? No. What? Uh, that one. Uh, I thought you were gonna say role models, but it's not role models. No, he no. goes to a villa in France, and there's it's in France. So I like that. That's the de- that to you is the defining <laughs> act of the movie. <laughs> It's a villa in France, by the way. And by the way, Not it's in France. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that one. So, Not the other villa movies. So Nick's number one choice is in Bruges. Um, Colin Farrell wonders if he has to help Brendan Gleeson steal Jesus' blood from a church. Uh, there are a couple of nicely lit candle scenes I thought of for this through with three, but I couldn't find any of the other ones I thought of. And upon watching this again, it seemed like a decent choice. In the beautifully candlelit Basilica of Holy Blood, Gleason's character explains to Farrell that the church is named after a vial, supposedly containing the blood of Jesus Christ. Gleason says he thinks it would be a good idea to steal it, and Farrell, who isn't really in the mood for fun, wonders if he has to help him. How to get in the vial? That seems like a lucky break. Like Roman Empire. <laughs> I'll shut up. Uh, All right. Uh, so this is Nick again. So that's it for me. Looking forward to hearing you guys' picks and what you thought the hate late. Keep up the good work, and hopefully I can participate in a 3 by 3 sometime where I can actually come up with some good picks. Cheers, Nick Smith. We liked those, Nick. Okay. Yeah, no, those yeah. are good. Nick, this, these are great picks, and thank yeah. you very much. Um, he's also known as Ashen Victor. In the uh, in the front page, so yeah, th- these are great picks, Nick. Not that you need our approval, by the way. Uh, next, we have Nick D. Hmm. Uh, hi guys. Uh, my number three is a bit of a throwaway moment, but it was from it was the first of Frank Nine it, in E.T. the Extraterrestrial. I have no idea. Diggus. There's a scene where D. Wallace is waiting on for her kids to come home from trick-or-treating. It's getting quite late, so she puts out the candles by snuffing them with her costume magic wand. 
Oh, I love yeah. the way she kind of taps the flame out. It's a nice, quiet moment before the emotional climax. That's a good catch. All right, so Nick D's number two. For my requisite period piece choice, Amadeus. The scene where Salieri transcribes the Requiem Mass as a feverish Mozart composes it from bed. There's so much going on in the scene, and it's simply two men talking all inside a bedroom lit only by candlelight. And Nick D's first pick is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. When Indy drinks the mind-controlling blood of Kali, uh, there are candles everywhere, but I especially remember the scene where Indy is lying on a stone slab. Yeah, the slab thing is really... when when I'm sorry, this is me talking now, uh, Dingus. Um when Kelly was talking about that, it's him on that stone slab. It's not a bed, it's a slab. And he's just kicking around. Anyway, back to Nick. Uh, on a stone slab that is also covered in candles. I love the little moment where he kicks the candles off the table as he writhes in pain. Cheers, Nick. Yeah. yeah. I'm at a bed of stone. Hmm. Hmm. All right, so that's all we've got from listeners. Uh, do you guys have any runners up? No one did. I felt I thought I might be screwing it up, but nobody picked Barry Lyndon because that's sort of famous for having scenes shot by candlelight. Oh yeah. Uh, you guys don't. This is cheating because it's TV. But there's a great miniseries with Mark Rylance called uh, Wolf Hall, and there were certain scenes in that that uh, it's a beautiful series, by the way, that were also shot by candlelight. Um, like they look like it, or they really were. They really were, and they look like it. Yeah. Like Wolf Hall is very uh, as a series. Um, they do a, they do a lot of things for authenticity that stand out because we're not used to seeing them. Uh, some of the ways, the lighting is part of that, but even the way people ate back then and the way they dressed, uh, it's uh, for the sake of authenticity. It's not something you're used to seeing. Like people didn't use silverware. It's like, like hey, they there's wore candles. They what? They wore candles. No, just uh, well, they didn't have electricity, so at night, any oh. like nighttime scene would be lit by candles. Um, when they shot movies back then. And they didn't have the little day-for-night fake bulbs in the candle. Instead, they actually shot with actual candlelight. Does the title of the Truffaut movie, Day for Night, refer to a candle in the movie? Like they're using to light a scene? I can actually answer that question. Do you really not know? Because uh, a lot of times, and you see this yeah. in 70s movie, and it's super conspicuous to me now, uh, they shoot during the day, but they, they tint the, the film... Or they maybe they use that physical lens to make day look like night, and it's called shooting day for night. Right. And no, no, I know. I just meant oh, oh. that movie. Is there a candle? Like, oh, this is the day. In in day for night. I guess it's that prop candle. You no, the prop candle. It's it's kind, of, it's kind of a throwaway bit. It's just hey, here's some insight, and like here's this behind the scenes look at how how movies are made. Right. Uh, it's not it's not like a punctuated moment. It's there's no. Like significance placed on it. It's just something I remembered as a kid going, ah, that's how they do it. It's like a stardust memory. One of my favorite moments about that is from, it's, uh, I can't remember which Mystery Science Theater 3000 uh, episode it was, but there, one of them was uh, we're escaping um, uh, in the largest uh, sedan in the county under uh, cover of afternoon. Oh, right, day for night, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, can I bring up an opera? 
If, oh, if yes, I, you can. I've already brought up a TV show. I once saw a production of La Traviata, which has, uh, at the end of one of the acts, there's a, there's a character named Violetta, and she's a she's basically a prostitute. And she's super happy that this guy's in love with her. And she's got this ebullient aria that she sings that's kind of famous. But in this production I saw, uh, there were all these like candelabras around the stage, and they staged it where the actress is like running around putting the candles out by slapping them with her palm just on the <laughs> candle and it just looked so take that D Wallace it, it, <laughs> ridiculous I remember thinking oh, that's okay she's running around singing the aria and just like smacking down on the, the candle with her palm is like, that the thing with Harlequin Harlequin no are you thinking of Rigoletto probably Rigoletto is a jester, and that's a that's a Verdi opera. Caviato is a Verdi opera as well. Uh, what? I thought Violetta was Harlequin's. No, one. she's a courtesan, not a Harlequin. Oh, totally different from a prostitute. Uh, Rigoletto, he's like the king's jester, uh, and that's like a Harlequin. Mm. Yeah. I can relate to the king. Kelly Wan, do you have any other opera questions? I, I can answer them for you. Uh, that Marx Brothers movie? <laughs> Does it all take place at night? <laughs> it's all in one night, yep. Oh, oh. so it's, it's like Temple of Doom. It's, yeah, day for night at the opera. It's like Temple it's of like Doom, Temple and it's also like Hateful Eight. Ooh. Uh, things are going to be a little cozy at Minnie's Haberdashery. Uh, if we don't have other runners-up, it is time for uh, you, Kelly Wan, to tell us what next week's 3x3. Uh, not next week. It's in two weeks, and I'll explain why in a moment. Kelly Wan, what is the 3x3 two weeks from now? Uh, what a relief that there's two weeks for this topic because it's <laughs> so juicy. That's your hint. I think you're you're being sarcastic. No, I'm being dumb. It's two weeks? Oh, my gosh. That's the part Dingus cares about? <laughs> <laughs> What about all the interesting things I just said about Juicy? <laughs> Jesus, what a nightmare. Juicy, I mean, Jesus. in two weeks, we will be going over the three best beverages in movies. <laughs> Hint, uh, it's got to be something you drink. <laughs> I don't think... This is one of those times where I think Kelly came up with something we haven't done. Is that right? Does that sound familiar to you? Who are you asking? Dingus. I'm consulting with the guy who takes 3 by 3 seriously. Hold on. It doesn't no, sound familiar we'll to you. We'll guy. be with you in a moment. All right. All right, all right. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Uh, have we not done beverages, really, or drinks? Okay. We've done liquids and uh, drinks, yes. Oh, we have done drinks? Because no. beverages are drinks. Oh, okay. <laughs> so easy. I was wondering if Dingus was going to call you out. I, I didn't think we've done it, but Dingus is normally really good about uh, uh, know when we've done one. Okay. I, yeah. I, all I can think of is stuff that we saw in Hateful Eight. And, you know, right, see? Yeah. Top of all. I mean, Kelly One, you you think it's dumb, but if we haven't... I, if we haven't that's, if, I don't if know, we we've, done, that, we've done alcohol, we've done... I mean, I guess... Are you not going to limit it in any way? I like... Don't, don't, give, him a, don't give him that out. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, no, do you I like Rod and Kelly, Kelly. I want... Able to participate. I'm Kelly, do you have any questions state. about this topic? <laughs> That's right. Do you have any questions for yourself? What is the topic? <laughs> Kelly one, how can the listeners participate? Oh god. <laughs> I thought I was done. Uh, they can participate in the beverage contest by writing in their candidacies towards <laughs> The he's, numeral... he's doing this like an IMDb synopsis. <laughs> I'm so happy. Jesse just gave me my number one, I think. 
Hey, no fair. I didn't get anything from that. What was the beverage in all that gibberish? <laughs> you maniac. Um, I know, oh, right? I love, I love what you just did for me right now. Thank you, Kelly. Keep that your- idiot, Tom, heard something sensical on what I just said. What a fool. <laughs> huh. Who's the who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool gets it from you? See, it's like the tractor beam's a candle. <laughs> uh, remember that Sherlock Holmes story where the wind blows the candle wax a certain way, and that's how Sherlock Holmes knows that the murderer's full of shit on something. <laughs> I tend to remember, like, Encyclopedia Brown resolutions more than Sherlock Holmes resolutions. Wait, I think it is Encyclopedia Brown. <laughs> I would like either one of them saying, you're full of shit. No, you're full of shit. Yeah, Encyclopedia Brown and Bugs Meany totally went out at one time. <laughs> Bugs and Meany. Direction. That was his adversary. <laughs> Who's going to freeze this ping pong ball? It's like Lex Luthor was the hero and Bugs Meany was the super. Bugs Meany. Bugs Meany. Oh, man. You're, he you're got the- his in the end. Yeah, he did. But seriously, if I can bring the house down again, if you wish to say what beverages you've seen in movies, <laughs> type that and then send the typings towards the numeral three, the letter X, the numeral three again, Q, U. At, you forgot a, the at sign. You forgot the at sign. Ah, all right, let me start over. The numeral three, <laughs> the letter X sign. Three again. Uh, A with the circle around it. So shift two. <laughs> and spell out the word quarter. Don't space. Two minus, not the number. And then three, the number, but spelled out. And then dot, which is period. Um, uh, com, com. Com, and then there's a comma. <laughs> No, there's no comma. Uh, we like when you Start send, over. We like when you send us your three by three picks. We would love to read them on the air. Furthermore, we're going to be doing something a little new next year with that, which I think you'll be excited to know about. So stick around for that. But next week we're doing our top ten of the of 2015. Uh, we are going to try to be super careful about spoilers. So. We want you to feel safe to listen, that we're not going to ruin for you the movies we really like. Uh, so keep that in mind. We're going to be super careful about spoilers. We'll remind ourselves at the beginning of the podcast, uh, if anything egregious happens, I will uh, I will bleep things out. So we want to make sure you can listen to the podcast, even if you haven't seen the movies that, that we pick as our favorites. Don't mention any of the cool things I do in episode seven, Tom. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, so, come give my own in the second hour of that uh, because we each do a top ten list, and we have a fair amount to say about those movies, we, we won't be doing a 3x3 three three next week. So the week after that, we will be uh, discussing The Revenant, and our 3x3 three three will be our favorite beverages. Say the movie title again, please. The Revenant. Tom, Dingus, did you hear it? Wait, yep. what? Is that not how you say that word? Because that's how I've been saying it in D&D all these years. Revenant is what you're saying. Revenant. Right? Revenant. What? You're getting there. Wait, how do you say it? Let's hear you say it. The Revenant. That's and it you sounds, say it. Revenant. And it you sounds say like I think you put uh, one syllable too many in there. Really? Yeah, you guys. Revenant. Dingus. Who's the dumber? It's Revenant. That's what Rev- I said. That's what I said. Revenant. No, you're you Revenant. you're just reducing a. Why do you hate syllables? Revenant. Yeah. I'm saying exactly what Kelly wants. He's just taking longer to the say Revenant. what I said. 
Yeah, it's good. At the windmill. Uh, so uh, next week, join us for our top ten. After that, we'll be talking either about the Revenant or Revenant, as, as most of us say, uh, along with three by three of beverages. Send in your pictures. <laughs> oh, you know what? No, I have to say now. Okay, so here's what we're doing next year. Some of you are so good about sending in three by three picks. We also would like to invite you because some of you, we really, it means a lot to us when you watch the movies that we watch over over the course of the week, um, so you can listen to the podcast when it posts. We originally thought of this, and still do, as a podcast that people can go back and listen to you know, many months later when they see a movie, and they just want to hang out with some people talking about that movie. So we a lot of times assume that when we're recording, people haven't necessarily seen the movie. But if you are, uh, if, if you see the movie when we see it, we would like to invite you, not necessarily to like write a review or anything, just send us a line or two about what you thought about the movie and if there's anything you'd like us to bring up and discuss about the movie. So starting next week, you can send in a pick for 3x3, three three, and if you've seen The Revenant, if you have anything you want to say, don't be too wordy, just give us something concise or anything you want us to talk about, send that also to 3x3 at quarter3.com. Um, so we'd like you to participate as well in the discussion of the movie as well as the 3x3. Three three. You don't have to do both of them, by the way. Um, so send that in if you see The Revenant. Next week we'll be doing our top ten. Uh, and from now on, when we introduce next week's movie, we'll also remind you that you can send in a comment and or question that you'd like us to read on the air. But so, also comment on the threads, too, if you – well, yeah, a lot of times we, we also we post this podcast on the front page of Quarter to Three. There's a discussion section. We, we're happy. We, we read those. We love hearing. Uh, That's the only mail I check. Yeah, Kelly Wong, by the way, not on Twitter, doesn't have his email address out there, not on Facebook. Yeah, so if you want to reach Kelly Wong, it's there. But otherwise, we'd love to have you discuss the, uh, join the discussion about the movie. So uh, join us next week for the Top Ten. After that, The Revenant and Beverages. I am Tom Chick. <laughs> I've been joined by uh, Christian. Wait, I don't know how to pronounce it here. Uh, Christian Marlowski. It's Christian Marlowski. Yeah, and uh, Kelly Wand. My tongue gets light shapered in episode eight. I like Morricone's early work because it's all verbs. You, sir, are a hyena. I have no wish to speak to you. Uh, uh. Buddy, I'm going to shoot you in the face if you don't put your hands on the fucking dash. <laughs>